listening to the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast with your hosts, Corey Draper and Jeff Hughes. What a bastard! Didn't know what happened to him there. My word, Anderson can't believe that he's beside himself with anger. And Tully Blanchard is beside himself almost unconscious. Good down-home cheating. Good down-home good down cheating. Sure. Welcome to another week of the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast. I'm Corey Draper here with Jeff Hughes. Glad to be back with you, folks. It feels like a, a brand new start. Here we go. Yeah, a full year really into like sort of the programming of what we've been talking about. We've kind of come full circle. I always thought of Saturday Night Event as being like debuting in May, so that was the start of the season. This is like this May 1986. It's the start of season two, even though I know that's not the way they look at it. Season two? <laughs> So last week we were over at TBS and Superstars on the Superstation. And I just kind of wanted to quickly look back at that for a second and just sort of, now that we've had time to sort of digest what we recorded, kind of like, you know, what did you think of it? I had two aspects of it. One of it was sort of academic, like I didn't realize that this was put on television and that they were doing something similar to the way that the backstage business is conducted is always interesting to me. And then there's, of course, the product. The product itself was was amazing. I, I wasn't as crazy about Flair versus Garvin. And I also felt that the Crockett Cut Blair versus Dusty, they, I don't know, they, I... Those weren't the best examples of matches for those guys. Yeah, yeah. So, um, however, the Koloffs versus the Road Warriors was outstanding. Really like that. Yeah. And just in general, I really like the style of not so much, you know, the, the, the big main event that they led up to superstars in the superstation but the way they did their weekly broadcast with the live studio audience was there to cheer on the interviews like imagine if mean gene had always interviewed his guys in front of a live studio audience well that's what we got on this weekly nwa show right the stage interview at wwf which was done in front of an audience was this unique thing and this really big time thing but like you said, the background, the behind the scenes, the the local promos, those weren't in front of an audience. Those were, you know, done arduous days, long days of probably recording the same promo, but you got to insert Baltimore or insert Kentucky or whatever. As much as I like the deleted scenes from the AWA style <laughs> and the bloopers, um, I think it's a way better show format. Much more exciting when you have the crowd always there cheering and booing. Very in your face, real, genuine those it's 60 people but it does you know as opposed to like see an arena with 6,000 or 12,000 or right yeah. 1,000 you know <laughs> or Korea you know <laughs> 200,000 right. anyway it was a fun departure to take a look at NWA and it has to be done you know you can't you can't get too deep into a wrestling podcast without talking about Ric Flair yeah in the if you're doing mid-80s wrestling you know, he's he's all over it. Whether you're whether you watched his show or not, you knew about him. Like, you know, there was no way as yeah. a wrestling fan to not know who if Ric Flair was. If you were an educated wrestling fan, then you yeah. knew who Ric Flair was. Yeah. He once again was the wily and elusive champion. <laughs> so, you know, through Facebook group that I'm part of, an NWA Facebook group, I came across the information that it wasn't the only TV special and good news. In nineteen eighty seven there was Super Towns on the Superstation. <laughs> Super Towns. That's right. <laughs> So it's a, I only looked at the first couple of minutes of the broadcast. I went and found the, you know, the file and this time there's no Linda Curry, <laughs> thankfully. Uh-huh. So they're just yeah, they going to hairspray. No more. Right, hairspray. No more hairspray. We can't, can't, cancel. 
So it's, it's a bit of a different style. It's not like a show the way this one was as far as like things being recorded the, the day of the event. You can tell Magnum and Linda are at the you know venue where the, sh- the matches are taking place. They even do that fan pre-roll thing, which is, you know, was from the fans from that show. This show instead is more of like a studio presentation as far as the announcers, Tony and David Crockett, are sort of hosting from one location and then they just take key matches from different locations and edit them together into one show. So you see a match from Philly and you see a match from, you know, let's say the Omni or whatever, right? Well, so that explains that title. Yeah. Super Towns on the Superstation. So February 1987. So at some point we'll be looking at that. And that's something I've never seen. Superstars in the Superstation, I'd seen a few times. This other one, Super Towns, I'd never seen it because it didn't have its own special broad, like Superstars on the Superstation was broadcast on a Friday night. Super Towns was literally just inserted as like, instead of the weekly syndicated show on its normal Saturday time. Oh, right, right. So it's just kind of part of the, if if you were watching week by week, you would have come across it. You know, let's say Mm -hmm. as as a new fan, let's say you were going back in time and re-watching all this stuff, you would eventually come across it, but it wouldn't stand out as like a you know a special a special event gotcha. kind of thing yeah so that that was really interesting but like Jeff said we're sort of in this new this new world and it's called Corey's collection because <laughs> I my VHS tapes this is the beginning this Saturday night's main event number six after WrestleMania two in the spring of eighty six we get a Saturday night's main event and I'll go into it a little bit later about how I acquired a tape that had the show on it I watched it live but I also after the fact got a tape of it. And really, that was what launched me on my path to, like, obsessively recording and collecting, you know, hundreds of tapes. Well, I had a very minor version of that myself. I did have such a machine hanging around, but I had nowhere. <laughs> hundreds? I, I I don't even think I had. I, I, had, I had, had a couple hundred tapes, yeah. Oh, my God. I think at my peak, I might have had 20 tapes laying around. And that they were, like, also had Saturday Night Live. <laughs> That's right. Or whatever else that I, you know, yeah, a rock yeah. and roll video that I really wanted you know, so you might see like an old Saturday Night's main event with suddenly something really cool would come on, you know, like, I don't know, years later, I might have recorded Pearl Jam, you know, like, That's oh my right, God, yeah. look at that, Saturday Night, let's get that one song, you know, and oops. Yeah, yeah, and now you've cut up in the middle of a show or something yeah. like that. Yeah, I was like, well, uh, hopefully I erased Corporal Kirshner and not Randy Savage. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So yeah, it's, it, it was, a you know, this is where... I went back and watched last week the show, the Saturday Night Event show, and again, having seen that show, like, it got to be well over 100 times. It was interesting to me because I haven't watched it in, you know, probably 28 years or something, that there was moments where I was like, I don't remember this. Like, you know, like, there's lots of stuff that I remember every single moment, and I knew the next line that was coming up, or I knew the next move in the match that was going to happen. But then there would be other parts where I was like, Oh, like, you know, there's a backstage moment with Jimmy Hart and his gang. And I'm just like, it took me several seconds to remember. Oh, right. This is the promo like this. Yeah, I've seen this. But there's that moment where you're like, I don't remember seeing this. So it's interesting when you take that much time off, no matter how much how many times you've seen something, if enough time goes by, kind of becomes new again. Yeah, your own lying memories. Yeah, we all we all make up. I think people make fun of people for like things like let's say the recollection of a fight, like let's say the Paul Orndorff versus Vader backstage fight, and you hear different versions of it, and it's like I think our brains don't work the way we think they do, and like this idea that we just have perfect recollection and perfect you know memorization, and we just take a picture or a video and we have it all there to access, and especially when it's a stressful situation. I would think that would also affect the way you remember things. So the fact that, you know, sometimes we hear stories by wrestlers or other people in other facets of life and they don't line up and they're not perfect, perfectly lined up stories. 
I think it's just because like that's just the way our brains work. <laughs> like they just it just isn't always perfect. Your memory. Well, I happen to have been uh, researching a little bit of Orndorff myself, and Tony Atlas gives his version of events of the legendary confrontation between Tony Atlas and Paul Orndorff when Tommy Rich was driving, and I had only heard Paul Orndorff's version of events, so it was quite interesting to get somebody else's side of the story. That's right. And uh, Paul Orndorff comes out as the uh, the face when it when you talk about the Vader confrontation. That's right, yeah. But in this one... He's the heel. <laughs> yeah. And bites Tony Atlas's ear. And Tony Atlas describes it when when it got physical, I put him in an amateur wrestling move that incapacitated him. And so he panicked and all he could do was bite me because I had uh. I tied up his arms and his legs. He wasn't going anywhere. And I was like, just cool off. Take it easy is what Tony Atlas says. Right. Tony Atlas was a uh, amateur wrestler. Yep. And Paul Orndorff was a football player and a bodybuilder. So Tony Atlas knew how to control a man, <laughs> lock him down. <laughs> yep, yep. And also he was like so much stronger looking than Paul Orndorff. Yeah, I mean, I, it, sometimes that size of somebody's arms or something doesn't always actually relate to their actual power and strength and say the power in their fist or something. But uh, Tony Atlas certainly was a very large man. <laughs> yeah, well, he's going to feature prominently <clears throat> in uh, today's show because uh, of what I heard him say. He, he had things to say about Bundy. He had things to say about Vince. Yeah. You know, so in turn, we'll try to cover the the really, in- and S.D. Jones. And I just, you know, my respect <laughs> for Tony Atlas grew. Whereas for a little while there, when I heard Paul Orndorff's story, I thought, oh, Tony sounds like a total ass you know yeah i'm I'm sure the the truth is somewhere in between (laughs) isn't it always so as we alluded to last week we are changing up the format of the show so this week's episode instead of being one mega show will be split into two (laughs) so we'll do a whole bunch of setup first we've got to set our we're still setting ourselves up to get to wrestlemania 2 and then there's going to be the fallout from wrestlemania 2 and then we'll get on to saturday's main event so this week it'll be mainly all just build up and set up and then next week we'll come back. We'll do obviously some corrections. There might be a little bit more setup to do. And then we'll get into the Saturday's main event card. And somewhere in between one of those two weeks, we'll squish in some interesting what ifs and all that good stuff. But so just just so you know, the reason why the episodes are coming out, you'll be seeing it pretty much exclusively coming out now is part one, part two over a two week period. And in some case, if the story's big enough, it might even require a part three. Right. We don't intend to really properly cover. WrestleMania 2 itself. Yeah, we're sort of intentionally setting it up and then leaving it in the view mirror because, as everyone knows, there's really literally hundreds of podcasts out there and this topic has been covered to death. We feel we're doing a good job of like maybe drawing some light and attention to things that don't get talked about as much. Some of the smaller matches, some of the smaller angles... The bits of details that get us there, we're, we're about the setup. And, uh, you know, we always reserve the right to come back and cover specifically a WrestleMania 2 or any other supercard like that. But, you know, for now, we're going to stick on the path that we're on. So with that in mind, we'll get on the road as far as setting up WrestleMania 2. Because when that last main event last ended, we were just about a month away from the second WWF extravaganza. A lot has changed, and yet so much remains the same. We're going to look at a... TNT segment with Roddy Piper as we're setting up WrestleMania 2. And one of the main reasons we're looking at this is a segment that they review on here with the Haiti Kid. So if you haven't seen it, and uh, we didn't have access at the time, there was a sort of uh, Johnny Carson-style setup show that Vince McMahon did. And uh, we saw clips a few seconds here and there, but it was a pretty obscure program. I- I'm not sure who got access to it but it wasn't us people with usa network which definitely was not in winnipeg right well 
we're not in the USA, for example, <laughs> and for this just in. So there were about, I guess, a couple dozen, maybe 50 people in the audience, and they have a, a live band as well, and no wrestling ring. So the promise of action is not there. You know, it's not supposed to be a knock down, drag them out slugfest. It's, it's a talk show. Vince McMahon introduces Piper's Roddy Piper, and he, in his introduction, he uh, reminds the audience that he's won the Slammy for the most interesting personality. Yeah, the most, uh, yeah, outstanding, outlandish. Yeah. I don't know, biggest personality, something. something like anyway, the part that caught my interest was this crowd was really pro Piper. It's like a <laughs> um, a raw crowd, or it's like one of these ECW young men, college guys half cut having a good time like these these guys are not the hoax these are not yeah. hulkamaniacs yeah there's somebody like when he's walking in there's somebody with a sign like a pro piper sign a really professional looking glossy photo and i almost thought piper was gonna smash it or break yeah, it just to be a heel do rip it up yeah but uh he he admires it and hands it back to the guy who clearly is a fan of roddy piper <laughs> that's right so this whole thing i thought this is gonna be great it turned out not to be so great and largely due to the content which you know is abusing little people abusing little little people of color you just stack it on it's like there's yeah. this whole haiti kid angle that i never enjoyed at the time yeah and, the, the uh, piper's pit that it's based on the segment is so uncomfortable that it seemed like it was easier to review it through this segment which it felt like it was sort of wasn't 100 of the footage so it was like less of the uncomfortable stuff yeah well the whole thing kind of goes wrong i mean piper is really awesome and i'll never take away from it but this from his talent and ability to sell tickets and to uh you know draw heat he's just truly one of the greats but this segment fizzles quickly because uh, he's making it yeah there are racial jokes that uh you know they're they're not like i don't think that this means that roddy piper is a bad person but i still i'll skip it <laughs> if i had a choice you know i'm not uh this isn't the entertainment content that i want to take in so i've never really looked back at anything that had to do with mr t as gold it uh was often pretty weak and this is somewhat by extension you know the little the haiti kid was a substitute mr t and, and eventually haiti kid has a mr t hairdo I, i'm not sure how this all fits into well that's it. that's the that's the piper's pit so right. like, haiti kid has a match he's won his match and on you know whatever syndicated show and then orton and piper come to the ring and you know basically kidnap him and carry him to the piper set and mistreat him and slap him and ask him questions about, you know, who's going to win the boxing match. And when Haiti Kid stands up for Mr. T, they take that as a sign of, like, to, like, let's hurt him more. And they cut his hair to kind of give him the, the Haiti Kid, the Mr. T hair. Right. Well, they uh, are not professional barbers. We have no Brutus Beefcake at no, Leslie no. Skills here. They <laughs> Basically, all they can do is mess up his fro really badly. Yeah, and yeah. And then eventually he has a professional-looking kind yeah, of Mr. T. Yeah, he comes out of a different segment where they've fixed his hair and make it, you know. Make him look like, like a little Mr. T, right? Yeah. Yeah, so... Anything that Mr. T touches, you know, just turns to crap in wrestling. That, or anything that touches Mr. T, maybe, if we put it that way. <laughs> sure. So, yeah, I, I it's oh, it was so promising when uh, Piper swaggered his way on the set. I thought this was going to be great, but I didn't like it. So the first big match we're going to really want to look at is something that really stood out in my mind for, you know, in many ways. And it's a Boston house show. And it's a match between Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and a tag team wrestler. Brett the Hitman Hart. 
Well, I always remember at first resisting Bret Hart's move into singles wrestling when he faced Randy Savage on the main event on a Friday night, but I didn't really uh, appreciate his lineage as a singles wrestler, and of course, how could I know what he would go on to accomplish? Yeah, he really just, you know, shows so well in this match, and you can really see where his skill was, even from the, even when they first, first brought him to WWF. You know, as young as he was, and he sort of was placed in a position to not be a, you know, a top guy. But for many years, he was someone who was sort of known that, you know, he, he had the chops. He could get it done, get it done in the ring and stuff like that. And he just knew so much, obviously, growing up in a wrestling family and having that sort of natural skill set. So this is a really cool match. I definitely remember seeing this match uh, many times when I was young, and but it had been forever since I watched it again. So it's it's quite neat. So, you know, you come in and you can hear uh, Alfred, Lord, Lord Alfred Hayes, and Bret Hart's already in the ring with Jimmy Hart. And they're in that familiar Boston arena, so like there's sort of that yellow kind of look, like the the flooring and the seats and stuff. It's all very yellow, and it kind of sticks out as like very very noticeable. So uh, you right around the time that you first start hearing Gorilla Monsoon's voice is when you hear a big pop, and it's Ricky the Dragon Steamboat music comes in, you know, that we like a lot. And he comes to the ring, and he's got his gi on in black gi, red tights. Red headband, sort of like a classic look for this era. And basically, Lord Alfred Hayes refers to this as Ricky's biggest test, that Bret Hart is going to be his biggest test to date. Yeah, hmm, that's interesting. It's hard to say that when he's fought Morocco, who's already had an intercontinental title and all that kind of stuff. But, hey, (laughs) give the guy some props. (laughs) So, it's really quick. As soon as Ricky gets in the ring, before the ref can do anything and he, he wants to check the wrestlers, Bret Hart's on him. He jumps him and he's punching him and, and doing some classic sort of hitman style punches in the corner. Is he wearing any pink? No, no, definitely not. You won't see that until 87. Yeah, he's uh-huh. definitely got that dark black. It's not even the black and blue. I think it's sort of the black with the more of like a white stripe or whatever it is on the side and stuff like that. So yeah, he lands him. He jumps him, lands several blows. So we're two minutes into the file. This is including the intros. And we've already got a Gorilla Monsoon Pearl Harbor reference. <laughs> Required every match. <laughs> That's right. So he gets in there with like, you know, headbutt, elbow, punches. And then he switches uh, Steamboat into a different corner and goes for some more blows. And finally, when he goes for the, the the whip across the ring, it's reversed quite late too. They're already quite close to the other turnbuckle by the time the reversal happens. And it's the sternum first crash. And it's good because Steamboat's kind of beat up. So he kind of falls down as he's doing it. It's like, it's like everything he has in him to like reverse this whip and smash Bret Hart into the corner. And that just looks awesome. We love it when he does that. So finally, Ricky's able to take off his ring gear and, you know, show off his muscles. And the crowd's really, you know, getting excited now that he's and he's really pissed off at, at Bret Hart for this, you know, the sucker sneak attack. And Bret Hart's doing a great job of backing off in the corner and like begging for mercy. And, Rick, and Ricky's doing this really over-exaggerated pose, you know, point like you. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. And really taking his time to come in. And it's quite funny because he slowly comes across the ring and Bret Hart doesn't do anything to defend himself. He's just like, no, 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 no. And wait, 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 wait. Wait, and then finally gets chopped. <laughs> yep. It's pretty funny. He's hoping for mercy at the last minute, you know, <laughs> like uh, Sean Penn at the end of Bad Boys. There you go, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he, uh, you know, he, he Ricky's in there landing strikes and chops and does a snapmare. And, and then for some reason, and you can't tell why, I guess Jimmy Hart's on the megaphone. Ricky Steamboat does this crazy lunge at Jimmy Hart. Like he just like dives through the ropes, like half his body's out of the rings. Jimmy Hart's running away. So I don't know. I don't know what Jimmy said. Maybe he made something mean about Ricky Steamboat's mother or something like that or his wife, but uh, enough to really like set him off. So, so Ricky's working the arm on the mat and you're just over four minutes into this uh, file and Grill Monsoon decides it's a good time to bring up the Pearl Harbor again. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, Ricky is from Hawaii, after all, and <laughs> that's where go. the Pearl Harbor fleet was located. <laughs> so if anyone's going to get the, you know, the significance of the Pearl Harbor ambush, it's going to be Ricky's team That's from right. Hawaii. So after working the arm for a while and landing a bunch of strikes on it, they basically do the Davy Boy Brutus beefcake spot. So like... Bret Hart, Bret Hart gets his arm locked out, and Ricky lifts him. You know, does that that lock, that wrist lock lift? Nice, yeah. And that's so that looks really cool. Yeah, so he continues to work the arm and stuff. He rams Bret Hart into the corner. He's got him in hammer lock, and you know, as I think you said, the, the perp walk. <laughs> yeah. Except for it ends in a getting your your shoulder and arm smashed into the turnbuckle. So yeah, continues to work on it. Finally, there's a push-off in Steamboat, and he does uh, back-to-back slide-throughs. It's kind of neat. So so Ricky's kind of running back and forth. Bret Hart's basically standing still, and Ricky Steamboat's doing, like, baseball slides, like, you know, one way and then the other way <laughs> through his legs. <laughs> and then it's a weird thing because he gets up, and he grabs Bret Hart, and it's like a reverse whip, but Bret's not moving, so it, it looks kind of... Like, they make it work, but it's it's not the most traditional-looking kind of offense and stuff like that. And then he does this big arm drag, so that's really great. And then at that point, there's Steamboat. I've never seen him be so mad. He's like, shut up, he yells at Jimmy Hart. He's, like, really pissed off. Oh, my goodness. This yeah. is as rude as our baby face has ever been. <laughs> and right at this moment, we see this large piece of garbage hit the mat, like somebody threw it from the crowd. Oh. And then you, you watch, like, a security guard walk across the screen... Like like at the front row, you know, you can kind of put two and two together. Like, oh, that guy's going over to that side of the screen where the garbage came from. And it's pretty funny. Busted. Yeah. So after that, there's another one of these push-offs into a he- and off of a headlock. And Steamboat does back-to-back leapfrogs this time. The guy's got lots of energy. Yeah. And then he goes for a hip toss, which Bret Hart blocks. But Steamboat does one of those like backflips where you like put your leg over the back of the guy's head because he's kind of bent because Bret Hart's bent over blocking the hip toss. Yeah. Leaning forward. So Steamboat puts his leg, his inside leg over the back of Bret Hart's like head. Yeah. Does a backflip and then does a hip toss. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So that, that's pretty good. Looks really nice. Yep. So he's got control. And then basically Jimmy Hart comes over to the uh, their test to complain and accidentally says, come on, that's a legal maneuver. And then Grill <laughs> Munson's like, yeah, it's a legal maneuver. And he's like, no, no, illegal. <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. He's like, he's complaining. <laughs> the mouth of the South. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when Gorilla Monsoon tells him, take a hike. <laughs> tells him to get out of there. <laughs> so Hart finally punches out of some of the stuff and he tries an atomic drop, but uh, Steamboat backflips out of it and does this crescent kick to the face. It's pretty pretty cool, like really high, like nice. it's right in the face and stuff like that. So Steamboat whips Hart and attempts to do a back body drop, which Hart, uh, Bret Hart counters with like a neck breaker, but it ends up looking like an upside down DDT. Like, it, like he goes to the mat so suddenly... It doesn't have the swing of a neckbreaker. It kind of has like a, I turn your head and then drop you on your head. Aha. Uh-huh. I'm surprised uh, nobody's patented that one. Yeah. This, somebody if somebody could go back and look at this video, like I think you could make a new finishing maneuver out of this. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Or in, instead of just adding like two somersaults and then doing a regular finisher. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so... Yeah, from there, Bret Hart does like a leg drop and it's time for him to do his little his little strut walk where he's got his hands out at the side and he's kind of like, hey, look at me. That's always fine. You no know, strikes, stomps, all that kind of stuff. And so they end up outside and this is where you see there's no mats and they're just, you know, he's putting the boots to Steamboat on the outside and stuff like that. And you hear Jimmy Hart, get him, get him while he's here, baby. <laughs> it's love of like, sometimes you can't hear what he's saying and other times you can hear everything he's saying. They're back. So Hart's beating him, uh, dragging on the apron. He's trying to get back in. So he suplexes him in for like a, a two and three quarter count. Like it's a really close count. Like he almost has the three count. Who, he, who, what? Bret Hart suplexes Ricky Steamboat back in ah, to the ring and then okay. gets this really close two and three quarter count. Yeah. So Steamboat strikes out of a headlock. And wins an exchange of blows, 
and this, and he goes for a body slam, but it backfires. So he, li- he lifts Bret Hart up really high up on his chest, and he goes straight back with Bret Hart on top of him. So there's a two count there. And then basically Hart tries a side cradle off a whip, and Steamboat, so he's going for that backbreaker, but Steamboat ba- uh, backflips out of that. He's doing a lot of backflips in this match. And then he body slams him, but he also falls down off of the body slam. So they're both men are down and out, and Steamboat beats Hart back to his feet. After a long count, so like the ref's doing the double count, he gets to about eight, maybe, and he ca- uh, catches Bret Hart's knees on a splash attempt, so he tries to jump up on top of him and catch the knees. So at this point, Hart's punishing Steamboat along the ropes, dumps him to the outside, and slams Ricky on that floor, again, like no no mats, and I, often, I've known, if you ever notice like sweaty guys, they get up and they got like a little bit of garbage on their back, you know? Oh yeah, yeah, well, perspiration uh, is also glue. Yeah. yeah. Everything will adhere to you. So while, while he's out there, Bret Hart decides to share a hug with Jimmy Hart. <laughs> nice. It's, they love each other. And when they're back in the ring, Bret Hart does a running power slam and, and for two count. It's a big backbreaker, you know, it's the side style one that he does. And he goes up to the second rope and it's what I was talking about. He goes for the flat back elbow. So he misses. <laughs> every time. Every Almost every time. So at this point, Steamboat's chopping like crazy and then he whips him off the ropes, Bret Hart, and he chops him and Bret Hart just flies through the air. So he gets, he gets his own, you know, two and a half count off that. Steamboat's beating Hart in the corner. And it's interesting, the ref's trying to kind of get in there, you know, hey, get, get him out of the corner. And Ricky Steamboat gives the ref like a pretty aggressive shove. And then he uh, he moves Bret Hart over to a different corner and keeps chopping him. Is this a heel turn for then, Ricky to drag Steamboat? And then the ref kind of gets in there again. And, and Steamboat's kind of, you know, aggressively pushing him off. And it's like a second contact. There's a corner whip and it's a double reversal. So what I mean by that is that Bret Hart reverses the whip but doesn't let go. And then basically spins Ricky Steamboat around in like a circle and whips him back into the corner where they originally came from, which is where the ref was. Oh. So you get this ref bump, and it's really well-timed. So Steamboat crushes the ref and then staggers out to the middle of the ring. It just as Bret Hart has bounced off the ropes and comes in with the hangman clothesline. Oh, yeah. And then he gets like, he's pinning him forever. And there's no, there's no ref. There's no count. It's like a heart attack without Jim the Anvil exactly. being there. It looked really good. And there's this long stretch of like, Steamboat's totally out. He's not trying to kick out at all. And so Bret Hart gets up, gets the ref up in the corner because he's, you know, he's all pissed off because he should have already won. And he dra- you know, drags him in the corner trying to like kind of wake him back up. And so he ends up taking like a uh, headlock on, on Steamboat who's gone back to his feet at this point. And he's pushed off. And Pardon me, he tries to whip him. And he's re- it's reversed. Steamboat reverses the whip, but Hart like ducks through and goes on this high cross body, comes up really high and fast on it, and Steamboat rolls through on it, hooks the leg. One, two, three. Very nice, Ricky Steamboat. Yeah. So it's Your about winner. a it's yeah, it's about a 17-minute match, and you know, including some wow. of the intro and stuff like that. It's like there was a lot of stuff that happened, obviously, that didn't didn't mention, but it's really well done. And I think like the cool thing is it really kind of built up Steamboat because like you can argue that he he'd won the match, <laughs> you know. Well, I thought you said that uh, Bret Hart was the one who had had him like clotheslined and. Like- that's what I meant. Sorry, if, 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 uh, that's what I mean. Is they they built up Bret Hart very well. Like he lost the match, but he he kind of already won the match in a way, right? Like he- yeah. Well, I was as I was listening to you explain because I didn't watch this. I was like, oh, that's really good booking for Bret Hart because it yeah. it gives him you know, an he- out. Yeah, yeah. He was like, oh, you know, you know, Cal Redman, you had that match won. Killer Cal would be on Bret Hart's side. He said, yeah, you right, you saw it right, Cal. I had him down. And so that's a good way to give some buildup to both players. When, like, I punch you and I cover you for the three, but the ref's not looking, then I look good. Yeah, And yeah. I go to get the ref when you get a sneaky pin on me. We both come <laughs> away with, you know, some 
some credibility. Right. Yeah, and especially in the in the re, in the, like, the replay because like the commentators are talking about how it's a seven count, like you know they count to seven, like <laughs> Bret Hart hits the mat seven times on Ste- Ricky Steamboat. Step aside, King Kong. That's Monday. right. It's not a five count; it's a seven count. And in true Philadelphia fashion, the fans are booing Ricky Steamboat. Wow. <laughs> because like I think partially because of the whole miscount thing, but also just because Philly loves its heels. <laughs> mm. Famously throwing snowballs at Santa Claus and. <laughs> wow. Didn't know that. Didn't didn't realize. Yeah, yeah. So so this is kind of just known as, as one of these great matches early in like you know it's sort of this '86 era style of match, like a, you know work rate, you know, sort of more of an NWA match than like a WWF match. So it's it's really cool. Yeah. So that's gonna bring us to a body shop where we see Jake the Snake Roberts debuting. Who? Well, Jake the Snake has been the Snake for a while, but I don't know that he ever had an actual reptile when he wrestled with uh, Paul Ellering in the original Legion of Doom. What a stable. The Road Warriors, King Kong Bundy, Jake the Snake Roberts with Paul Ellering. Like, that's a fucking foursome that can compete with, you know... Anybody, I, right. I think the horsemen would get crushed. You know, against it. they'd have to do all their cheating and sneaking. You know, to stand yeah, against yeah. these monsters, right? It's interesting. I've known of the stable and sort of who roughly is in it for a long time, but I'll also come across videos where it'll say like, you know, Legion of Doom versus this guy, this guy, and King Kong Bundy, and it's like, what? <laughs> like, ah. did, did he leave the thing or did he join them after the fact or like, how did that work? Well, here's a chance for. Uh, if we have any listeners out there who can give us some information about that, we would love that. So what's our uh, email address as it goes? Because I'd like to know more about the original Legion of Doom. Yeah. You can always email us at legendarywrestlingobsession at gmail.com. So I'm getting this from, of course, the wrestling magazines. Yeah. Um, but back to the present. So it seemed to me that the commentators were doing an angle where before this body shop Jake had the the sack in the bag, but didn't bring Damien out. And I think, you know, there's always the confusion between when things are recorded and then aired. So, you know, it would seem this that I don't have a lot of evidence to it, except for one match where Damien's only in the bag and Jake's sort of thinking about it, but being like, nah, not today. So on this particular episode of The Body Shop, we actually bring out this 10 foot boa constrictor, this big python. Which will, uh, fans of classic WWF wrestling will know very well Damien's appearances at big wrestling cards and all that. But here it is, it's a debut. So, uh, Jesse's not particularly intimidated, but, uh, <laughs> ain't got time to bleed. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, Jesse's always wearing his own boa. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> I think that's actually, uh, I stole that one from Gorilla Monsoon. But anyway, uh, it's only a two-minute interview. And, you know, Jake, as usual, is poised, confident. And then you bring up, and, and that must be so heavy. Uh, Damien is probably, I don't know how much that snake weighs, but probably it's 40. It's got to be a lot, yeah. Yeah, 40 pounds or something. I wonder. Anyway, so there it is. Damien's introduced to the world. And Jesse loves it. Yeah, I do know that. Jake didn't start carrying a snake around until he got to the WWF. He did take on the moniker Jake the Snake when he did it. He stylized himself to kind of have these like snake-like movements at times in the ring and stuff. But the menagerie of animals, uh, much like as we've realized through recording a Crockett Cup episode that hasn't aired yet, that Coco Ware was actually Coco Beware and, and kind of had this 
Birdman gimmick going before he got to WWF, but he certainly never carried a parrot around with him, you know? Like, now that you mention it, the wrestling magazine pictures, Jake didn't have any snake on his tights. He no, had He no. had these kind of, like, just pants on. His name only, yeah, yeah. He, he often looked like he was fighting in, like, sweats almost <laughs> yeah they had loose cuffs yeah around its leg they weren't they weren't even tights that's right and there was the no snake tights hmm. yeah so it's all all very interesting and it's just great so this is a time and like it's this debut and he's protected very well so jake comes into the wwf and exclusively wrestles enhancement talent lower card guys he's protected very 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 well at saturday's man event i know that they mention undefeated and i was like ah bullshit because <laughs> right wf one of the things they always do is they always famously they make guys lose when they first come in to see how they'll handle it you know even just on a host show let's say but i looked through very carefully and i couldn't find any match that wasn't jake taking some sucker out <laughs> yeah well let's we should i'd like to now go to the sd jones match with jake roberts because this would be the time i think to do it because in that match damien gets brought to ringside but the commentators keep saying What's in the bag? We don't know what's in the bag. Yeah, so this this match is going to take place a little bit later in our chronology, but that's fine. We'll just skip around. It's all it's all good. If they can show things out of order, we can talk about them out of order. Yeah, and it <laughs> feels to me like storyline. It's out of order because of yeah. why you know they're saying what's in the bag, what's in the bag. Uh, uh, just to, just to fill in what you're he's saying, he's already there. been introduced like weeks earlier. Yeah, I think it's because of it's the Philly broadcast. And Dick Graham or whatever his name is, who does those broadcasts often with either Lord Alfred or Grella, you know, I think he's someone who really is only focusing on the Philly show. So this could be the case where he hasn't seen Jake come through. So that's why he's right. kind of doesn't know. Whereas like the other people probably know, but yeah, grill you know, on soon. There's that you can't really justify yeah, there's, that. There's no way he wasn't in the room when they were handing this gimmick out kind of thing. So, well. So what we have is a a match that didn't work out for the crowd. Um, they're <laughs> chanting boring and uh, monsoon, and this guy start talking about Major League Baseball. You know how the Whoa. Phillies doing? Yeah, we I, I, you got to find the clip because I mean wow. yeah because they're doing a really slow match pace, and yeah. and and the crowd. Uh, it's interesting because uh, St. Jones is from Philly. Yeah. And it's his birthday. That's right. <laughs> they get nothing. The crowd's just quiet. You can hear a pin drop. Oh, my God. And uh, the match goes really slow. And even when SD does you know, get his offense in and throw some punches, uh, the crowd doesn't care. And so this is a pretty unfortunate, uh, you know, it's a... Um, it's it's not the, the, the highlight of wrestling that uh, will be living in eternity. But it is interesting for our purposes because of all these factors. Okay, S.T. Jones, yeah. can't, he can't catch a break. The crowd won't cheer him even though it's his birthday, his hometown. <laughs> the only thing that they do spare him is he doesn't get the slither, the fear factor, you know, Damien crawling over, over him because Jake yeah. doesn't unleash Damien. But it did lead me down a bit of a path. I don't think that S.T. Jones will feature prominently in any other part of our focus, you know, for the, for this part one or for part two. I don't think he's on the Saturday Night's Main event, but... Certainly not. No. But, uh, so S.D. Jones, turns out, he had a big place in Tony Atlas's heart. And uh, Tony Atlas explained that McMahon wanted S.D. Jones to wrestle without boots and kind of play up the... African angle, like the way King Tonga, you know, wrestles without any footwear, okay. you know, maybe the Islanders, you know, like that was, they were probably told, and Jimmy Snuka, you know, I don't think it was, I don't know if it was their choice. The, yeah, interesting. Uh, so no footwear was what they told S.T. Jones, right? And so he did it for a bit. And according to Atlas, he said, oh, you know, it hurts my feet. So I'm going to wrestle with the boots. 
and that condemned him to enhancement talent. Oh, interesting. And then I always knew he was used a bit better kind of pre-rock and wrestling. Like there was an era there where you can go and find matches where, you know, SD's tagging with the top guys and fighting top guys. And well, he was a top talent in Australia with Paul Roma before the Power and Glory matchup. Oh, wow. That's a which, long time before then. Yeah. Yeah. Power and Glory matchup worked out pretty well. Uh, I think that was a, a good angle for those wrestlers. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. They were Re- good. Revive two careers. <laughs> absolutely. So... Paul Roma was headlining with SD Jones in Australia. Like they were like around that time or back now. Um, so before power and glory. Okay. So that's 90 ish. So are we talking 88, 89 or are we talking like 85? So Tony Atlas was probably covering his whole career. So right. I, I don't want to, you know, be jumping all over the place. Yeah, I don't want to go to the mat. Just so, you know, for <laughs> Tony Atlas said that he and SD Jones were going to be, tag team champions and they were supposed to take the belts off of uh, Saido and probably Tanaka I think was Saido and Fuji Fuji yeah oh wait I'm, I was I think I was trying to say Fuji and Tanaka I don't know Maybe, yeah, yeah there you go yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I started with Saido <laughs> anyway Tony Atlas has regrets he says like I think I cost SD Jones you know his WWF championship belt shot oh yeah but he also said that he had, he only had three friends in wrestling, Tommy Rich, S.D. <laughs> Jones, and Tito Santana, wow. Tony Atlas said. And apparently McMahon had it in for Tony Atlas. And Tony Atlas said that one day on a, uh, on a show, uh, it was a, in a TV taping, he was supposed to wrestle a jobber King Kong Bundy with long hair and a purple onesie. Okay. And... Tony Atlas looked out there at King Kong Bundy and shot McMahon a dirty look because he's like, how am I supposed to gorilla press that guy? Yeah, exactly, yeah. So Tony Atlas went out there and, and apparently S.D. Jones is backstage and he says, boss man will get it done, boss man will get it done. Tony Atlas does an S.D. Jones impression. Now we're not talking the boss man wrestler. So that threw me for a second. Yes, yes, yes. That's his nickname. S.D. Jones is calling Tony Atlas boss man. That's what I thought you meant, yeah. Yeah. I didn't figure it out until, you know, watching a bit more. <laughs> anyway, so this gets to the skill of Bundy. Tony Atlas says, no way I could have gorilla pressed Bundy unless he was able to jump up to basically like, you know, my chest height. So Bundy was so agile and talented that he jumped that high. Wow. And then, because like, yeah, he said, I can't just deadlift the guy up. If you don't want to get gorilla pressed, you don't. You don't yeah, exactly, want, yeah. Especially not if you're King Kong Bundy size. But a very accommodating performer, I gather, and maybe a stand-up guy. I don't know. but Probably, yeah. So anyway, but this is fascinating because so everybody's looking through the curtain backstage and Tony Atlas bench presses King Kong Bundy <laughs> because oh, of the boy. skill of both guys yeah, yeah. and the strength of Atlas. So then they put SD instead of Tony Atlas in the squash mash at WrestleMania because Tony Atlas would have bench pressed Bunny instead of a nine second squash. <laughs> Tony Atlas would have been like, no, I would have bench pressed him. And then there's no WrestleMania two headline Bunny against Hogan. Because if you get bench pressed, there goes your heat. You know what I mean? So yeah, Tony it's Atlas not too like, big a deal if Hogan slamming you if you've already been bench pressed on on like you know a major event. That's I mean, it would have right. created it would have created the quote unquote WrestleMania moment. Fine, uh, Bundy squashing SD Jones is a moment, but I mean, just the visual of <laughs> Bundy getting press slammed by Tony Atlas is to me worth more. Yeah, I can understand how it would and mess they up things didn't up. Didn't want it. 
But I would say that, like, they probably didn't know where they were going yet. You know what I mean? Like, sure, they want to build up Bundy as a big heel, but they probably didn't quite realize that they were, like, in a WrestleMania 1, they probably weren't, like, you know, checking a box saying, okay, WrestleMania 2, Bundy. Uh, well, that's, I mean, I, I will just push back a little bit and say that, you know, WrestleMania, I think they're... Reserving the right to put Bundy up as the next big heel, possibly for WrestleMania 2 because of that yeah. squash match. So nobody else uh, looks as dangerous at WrestleMania as Bundy. <laughs> nobody else gets to walk over somebody. Nobody else is wrestling S.D. Jones. <laughs> yeah, well, now we know that S.D. Jones was not, he was a jobber because of he stood up to the boss. Yeah, and it was just timing-wise. Again, like if you if you were somebody who was a fan who'd been watching WWF all through the '80s, you would have already had all this experience and knowledge of who SD Jones was and what he was capable of. If you just came along in the rock and wrestling era, you know he's got an LJN, but you know he's just basically mostly known for losing. <laughs> well, this would be my perspective of SD Jones until I heard all this awesome stuff that he was, you know, a great guy, a forgiving guy. Because like Tony Atlas said, like I cost him this, I cost him that, and he always, you know. He, he always forgave me for, for these, you know, decisions that didn't work <laughs> out for S.D. Jones. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. Get this. So S.D. Jones, at one point, Tony Atlas was so on the shit list that S.D. Jones put him up on the, and he's sleeping on his couch. Tony Atlas is living at S.D. Jones's house. Right. And McMahon is like, kick him out. Oh, geez. And S.D. Jones said, I'd rather get fired than do that. And so Tony Atlas is like, I'll go stay with your cousin. But, you know, so, yeah, my my respect for SD is now just, like, skyrocketed if all this shit is true. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Definitely heard, you know, heard of Tony Atlas sort of, you know, unfortunately, living on the streets at different times in his life and stuff like that. And, you know, it wasn't a straight path for him. You know, it wasn't just, like, success all the time. I haven't been playing too, too much attention this spring, Dick. What are the Phillies looking like? They got troubles. They got troubles. Season opener, April 14th on Prism TV, huh? They've been a little concerned about their uh, pitching, and uh, the rest of the team is coming along, I guess. I heard a little bit of the game uh, today. I think they lost to my uh, Pittsburgh. 13 to 2 or something like that. Ouch, to Pittsburgh already. Huh? Okay, so just a quick note. One of the things I noticed in uh, a lot of the card results is that they started doing something where they were doing in-ring Piper's Pits, but it would be like Jimmy Hart substituting for Roddy Piper. Roddy Piper's not there. So it's Jimmy Hart, in this case, with the Funks are with him, and his guest is Mr. T, who has brought Junkyard Dog. Now, this is a house show. There's no footage of this stuff. They did it a few different house shows. They did a variation of this. They did one with Jesse. They did a couple with Jimmy Hart. I guess maybe they looked at what the result was and maybe <laughs> decided it wasn't worth recording and putting on TV. I don't know. But... Without a lot of information, what happens is Mr. T is wearing a kilt to kind of make fun of Roddy Piper, and basically through some verbal sparring, eventually what you end up with is Mr. T pushing Jimmy Hart to the ground after Jimmy Hart has said that, you know, Roddy Piper is going to knock out Mr. T. So they kind of test it out, maybe, is a way to say it. They tested out a, you know, a possible on-air segment probably decided it was a bit too weak and got away from it, which maybe falls in line with what Jeff was saying, which is that the Mr. T stuff isn't really... Uh... He don't know how to work. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it's too bad. But I, yeah, I can picture it. Well, shortly, I'll be talking about Jimmy Hart subbing for Piper, which I enjoyed yeah. Yeah, when, yeah. when we get to it. Okay. So another important note here. So March 17th is an important date in Winnipeg because it's the first ever exclusive WWF card in Winnipeg, Manitoba at the Winnipeg Arena. 
6,500 fans. I'm not going to go through the whole card by any means, but just wanted to point out a couple of things. So uh, Atlas defeated Jesse Ventura. And one of the reasons I brought that up is because McMahon's strategy when he went back into, into these places as he was knocking the territories down and stealing all this, all these areas is he would bring back people who were, you know, familiar to those people. So when he goes into Minneapolis in 84, you know, it's Hogan and Mean Gene in a tag match to kind of get that crowd. So Winnipeg is very familiar with Jesse Ventura. So having Jesse on the card is like, you know, one of those ways of sort of throwing us a bone. The local fans are like, hey, look, it's the wrestling you love. It's just a different name. But the one thing that it's noted, the last three matches aired on TSN. And I have no idea what TSN show this was because I had TSN and I don't remember watching WWF on TSN. As we've sort of come to learn over the years, the sort of gray area of when Winnipeg started actually getting broadcast WWF syndicated TV is a bit fuzzy. We know that when AWA went away, that there was like a switch over to WWF. But as I've kind of learned through the last couple of years, there were actually other iterations of WWF TV on Winnipeg TV. Uh, and we'll touch on some of that. When we get to a, an episode where we have a special guest on, we'll talk about some of that. But this TSN stuff, I really don't know. So yeah, it says that the Hart Foundation versus the Bees, Volkoff and Sheik versus Kirshner and Spivey, and Junkyard Dog versus Terry Funk, which was the main event of the card. Those all appeared on WWF on TSN. What year did you, did you say? This would be 86, March of 86. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, I didn't get TSN. I had to wait till it came on one of our big 13 channels that, we, <laughs> that you got when you... That, and that was... That's what we called cable back then. (laughs) If you didn't have that, you had, I think, CBC, a French channel, and maybe you got the time and weather. uh, CKND. Oh, you could still get... Yeah, you could get your three Canadian channels, CBC, CKND, and CTV, I guess it was called. Which we call, yeah, CKY was CTV. Yeah. And then, like Jeff said, there'd be maybe a weather channel, a French channel... Uh, you know, the parliament channel. <laughs> <laughs> but if you paid, yeah. then... Um, then the you thing... could get your American channels, your ABC, CBS, NBC, eventually Fox. Of course, CK... you, you, are you sure you, we, we could get CKND? Because they would be showing a lot of NBC when you didn't have... CKND was how we watched AWA wrestling. Yeah, but I'm saying if you didn't have cable. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I know you got CBC because for those of you I not I remember Canada, watching wrestling on CKND when we only had three channels. So that must have been like non-cable. Oh, okay. Like you could pick that up with your rabbit ears you know so the cbc is canadian broadcasting corporation which we all pay taxes to support and yeah even if you don't pay for your tv broadcast you had a right as a canadian citizen to watch cbc (laughs) so yeah so that's pretty neat so i will put an asterisk beside that as far as being the first wf card in winnipeg but that's a story for another day another interesting note is on march 20th there's a wwf house show in kansas and it's noted in this that Harley Race has said that he drove to this show and basically went backstage and took a shot at Hogan as retribution for stealing, basically knocking his territory out because uh, Harley Race had interests in the Kansas City territory. And basically his territory, you know, went out of business once WWF started stomping around and maybe I'm assuming things like stealing their television rights and whatnot you know, access to the arena. Now, there's more than one story here, though. And yeah, heard- because I've heard stories about Harley Race that involve firearms. Yes. So I'm assuming this was a fist, not a pistol. Yeah, so the the note in here is he's saying that he punched Hogan in the stomach. I've heard two more stories, which is what you just alluded to, which is that he showed up with a gun <laughs> and that Hogan was hiding in the showers, like trying to like, you know, didn't want to see Harley Race. The third story I've heard- Hogan, though? Wasn't really, was it really his? Anyway, go on, tell me the story. The, the third story- is that he came back all mad, but essentially ended up 
things turned out positive as far as like he went from like I'm here to beat you up and intimidate you to like hey man can you talk to Vince and get me a job <laughs> well <laughs> he, he of course <laughs> you're right because okay. we're not long away from the, the king debuting right. in the WWF uh, that's really interesting yeah well he had a reputation as a, a big drinker yeah and also a really heavy puncher like that his his shots were among the stiffest and most feared in wrestling if he punched yeah him. And he was super respected. Like Andre let him slam him many occasions. I've even heard stories where Andre let him suplex him. So like, you know, that's, uh, Andre didn't let people do moves to him. So (laughs) he really liked you if he let you do that. I never, I certainly haven't seen that. I've seen footage and pictures of the slam. I definitely, nobody has any footage or pictures of the suplex. I'm sure if somebody had it, they would, you know, that would be all over the internet by now. I, I saw Andre get slammed by Harley Race. I was pretty shocked. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He'd started going into all these markets. He just went into Kansas City. And Harley Race had been living there, you know, 25, 30 years. Was the end all be all. NWA champion. This TV gets broadcast in from New York. I'm the real WWF champion, brother. I'm coming to the Kansas City arena. They set the ring up that afternoon. They called me and said, Harley Race showed up at 2 in the afternoon, blind, drunk, and lit the ring on fire. <laughs> and he said, and he said and he said, the good old days. And he said, if you come to the building tonight, he's going to kill you. <laughs> so I went across the street from the arena. I drank at the Rusty Scupper all day. I went back to the building, went scampering in when the matches already started. I was on the last. I said, put my ass on fourth so I can get out of here before intermission. So I'm in there taking a shiz it. All of a sudden, Davey Voice Smith comes in. He's f***ing here. The king is here. He's f***ing here. He's got a gun. I pulled my pants up. Didn't even wipe my ass. Went running out in the hallway. And Harley Race, ah, I should blow your f***. Kneecaps off, you piece of shit. Put the gun in the other hand. He goes, But I need a job. He shook my hand and I said, Well, I'll talk to Vince for you. I said, Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. Okay, that's going to take us to March 23rd. A really, really neat match in Toronto. So we got that great look of like the ramp coming right up to the ring. This is super awesome. 15,000 people in attendance, big crowd. And it's an oddball sort of tag situation where we've got Andre the Giant, Junkyard Dog taking on the Funk Brothers and Jimmy Hart. Handicap for who? That's what I got to ask you. Well, it's actually, this is uh, loads of fun. Um, Well, just one thing. uh, There was a match coming up later that was like a, you know, Hogan and Dog versus the Funk Brothers. And that's the match we see on Saturday's main event. And as we were sort of piecing through what we had time to get through, I sort of felt like, ah, we're going to get all those funny spots, you know, probably from the Hogan-Dog match in this house show match that we're already going to see again on Saturday's main event. So why not, why not look at this where we can get Andre and we can get Jimmy Hart. Has WrestleMania 2 happened yet? No, that's April 7th, so we're, we're getting close. Hmm. Okay. Right, so here we are in the Great White North in Toronto. Okay, so let me set the visuals for you, dear listeners. You have the Funks already climbing into the ring, but there's an air raid siren wailing. That's right, yeah. No music, but this interesting air raid. I don't understand. Kind of like in place of music. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, there's something to listen to. Yep. Anyway, so let me describe the Funks for you, uh, if you don't know. Uh, first off, uh, attire, their exterior attire, you've got Hoss, looks like Pale Rider. He's got a floor-length coat. Looks like a from a Clint Eastwood movie, and it's um, very sort of pale, you know, yellowish, that almost leather color. But anyway, he's got a big black hat, silver band, and he has short red hair, kind of balding, and he's bigger than his brother Terry, who's got that scraggly shoulder-length hair, brown hair, and a beard and mustache, and he's wearing some dark blue chaps with the Double Cross logo and some stars. And I'll get this out. I think this is probably, when I think about it, the best 
origin or hails from in wrestling? The Double Cross Ranch. <laughs> like, right, yeah. What could be better for a pair of heel cowboys? <laughs> Double Cross yeah. Ranch. I love it. It's interesting. I, I noticed in this match with the wide shots, like when the camera would kind of, the hard camera would kind of be from that far away where you could take in part of the ramp and the, the rings a bit in the distance, that from a distance, once he's in his wrestling attire, not his, not his getup, not his cowboy getup, but once he's taking the jacket off and everything, Haas Funk kind of reminds me a little bit of Vern Gagne, you know, like he just sort of has that wrestler body, yeah. kind of the same kind of hair, you bigger. know, almost bigger, but you know, from a distance, that's why I'm saying yeah. like, yeah. not like their face looks yeah. anything alike or, Abs- you know. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Sort of the body shape. Haas is like a taller, thicker shoulders too. When you see him throwing like a, let's say a forearm uppercut from a distance. Yes. That looks like Vern throwing a forearm uppercut. (laughs) Yeah. The only, and and in defense of Haas, I'll just say he's got big, thicker shoulders. Absolutely. By by the time Vern became an old man, you know, he didn't look particularly strong (laughs) in his arms and shoulders. His legs and arms got pretty skinny and yeah. Yeah. It wasn't convincing. So Haas still looks like a big, you know. Yeah. He's not that far removed from some pretty serious competition. Yeah. Now Jimmy Hart steals the show with his outfit though. He looks so. Oh, ridiculous. So he's got, you know, something that looks kind of like an officiating outfit because it's got the vertical stripes up and down and yeah. it's red and white. Um, there's a little, I think maybe some blue knee pads or something like that, but he's he's mostly covered up and, you know, he's, like... And some, I think one of the announcers refers to him as like a candy cane or something like that. A barber pole, yeah, but barber pole, both, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just need to have him spinning out there. But, uh, you know, he's got what appear to be the onesie over the tights, over the shorts, <laughs> and you just like layers and layers and elbow pads and knee pads and everything. Yeah, and yeah. So he looks pretty ridiculous. I love that he's announced at 159 pounds because that's like, that sounds like a lot more than he's usually referenced as weighing by, uh, you know, Jesse and whoever else. Yeah. And uh, and he does the double bicep. <laughs> yeah. He goes down and does a big pose. <laughs> oh, there's such a great burn by Jesse in this intro. Now, the sound mixing is a little bit tricky because I can't hear Gorilla Monsoon's reply, but I can hear the burn, fortunately, because of the timing. <laughs> and so Jesse is like, look at that pose, gorilla. And after that, then you hear the <laughs> ref say, 159 pounds. He says, hey, gorilla, looks like we finally found an opponent you might want to come out of retirement for. <laughs> I miss that. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and gorilla's so easy to get along with. He's just yeah, like, exactly. blah, 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 Jess. He's just a nice guy. Every burn rolls off like a duck. I'm like sure water off a goose. would love to wrestle Jimmy Hart. Yeah. But it's a pretty funny little, uh, yeah. The, the strange thing is that Jimmy Hart's got a head band with JYD on it. Yeah, yeah, I had a note of that. I'm just like, I guess he forgot I, to do the Ghostbusters same, or, same like no smoking, you yeah, know, and put yeah, a, the line through it or it's somehow it's a way of taunting him. I don't know, we must have missed it. I yeah, know. but he just looks like a booster instead That's of right. a, like a, no he's a, JYD. He's a JYD fan. <laughs> yeah. Get to the, maybe yeah, I forgot to do the Ghostbuster logo part. <laughs> yeah, there's a part there where uh, the commentary totally gets drowned out by Howard Finkel when he starts announcing the good guys, I guess, as the as the as the baby faces start to come out. Like Jesse and Grell are talking, but all of a sudden you can't hear them. Like they're just, it's weird. Right. Well, it seems like the crowd is most excited about Jimmy Hart, to be honest. You know, <laughs> this is where they get the biggest pops. But so when they come out, no music, no grab them cakes, no air raid sirens. <laughs> no. And no banister for Andre, who's got to make his way up these yeah. free stairs. So he's got to use JYD as like, you know, the rail. Yeah, like a, yeah he puts his hand on his shoulder. He yeah, just to get up these stairs. Up yeah. The stairs. Yeah. And so that's a little scary. But then there's this really sweet moment. Did you see like the like the 16-month-year-old that's this guy's holding up his baby? He's, okay, yeah. Yeah, and like Andre looks down and just like muscles his hair. Like there's a couple of kids right there. Yeah, like it's pretty sweet the look of this like it starts off from the backside so that's always andre for, oh yeah it's you, from the right. back is like it's always so cool like you're coming from behind and he the looks u- so huge the but unique here's, aspect of toronto 
the Mega. ramp. Like he's already such ramp a big is man. Ramp ring level. We haven't so described now, that yet. Yeah. Now, now he steps up onto this ramp where he's essentially standing shoulder height on people. So like, think how big he is. Now put him up at your shoulders. Now yeah. look up at that man. Like, you know, yeah. it's just, it's so imposing how big he is on that ramp. And yeah. then he's like, just as he's leaning over and he's patting people on the head as he like comes down a bit. You know? Well, it's the only place that I know of where it has the ramp right up to the ring. It was um, built like that. WCW did do that uh, in the early 90s for like all their sets. They went around for any of their TV tapings and set up a thin ramp, but it, it didn't look quite the way the Toronto one did. It was a bit mm. different, but it was it was neat. But there was one cringy part. Once he must the hair, Andre is holding JYD's chain and it's, uh, you know, I we just can't <laughs> yeah. get away from all these uncomfortable. Uh, Which is funny because I don't even think they're going for it. You know no. what I mean? Like, <laughs> no, they're not. But still, it's very cringy to see a white man leading a black man. Yeah. Yeah. Want, chain you know, around his junkyard neck. dog leash you know it's almost yeah. kind of like yeah it's 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 okay it's okay when jyd leans into it but then when andre's like let me get on on it it's like uh, <laughs> but you can't no. say no to andre but anyway yeah. so the sooner that gets done with the better yeah so i i uh, definitely i love the aspect of the fact that throughout the whole match jimmy hart is holding his megaphone. So the referees, <laughs> the referee is patting him down yes. while he's holding the megaphone. I know. So if you watch, the megaphone is on the table, which is, you know, right beside the ring, the opposite corner of where Jimmy Hart and the Funks are. And Jimmy sneaks around while there's a bit of sort of in-ring yapping going on between the Funks and the, and the heroes. Jimmy Hart sneaks around on the outside of the ropes and he steals his megaphone back. And then he goes back and now he's on the outside. baby, But he's not a manager. He's a wrestler. And he's got, a, he's got his megaphone. It's yep. hilarious. Well, it... That literally, he's holding the foreign object in his hand as the referee's <laughs> patting him down, you know, looking for foreign objects. It's it's quite the sight. And, you know, so when the bell rings, the referee does point at the megaphone and said, hey, walks over to Jimmy. So Jimmy kind of sheepishly puts it behind his back, you know, a little bit. But three seconds later, he's like, you got him, baby. You got him, baby. You can do it. You can take him. Jimmy Hart is complaining about hair pulling before the bell's even rung. It's pretty great. <laughs> watch the hair, watch the hair ref. <laughs> The match hasn't even started yet. <laughs> And for some reason, they keep calling Terry Funk Terrible Terry. I've yeah, never really yeah. heard this. Yeah, kind of this this match more than any other one. Maybe there's some other times they use that. But Yeah. And then Monsoon quotes Terry. He says, oh, yeah, he's the first to admit it, Jess. I'm middle-aged and I'm crazy. Yeah, yeah I've heard that he's several that times over his career. Exp- yeah, I might explain the social security crack that Jesse made at the last Saturday night's main event. Um, Andre, meanwhile, looks very content. He's happy. He's just calm as can be, smiling, waiting for the ring. Yeah, waiting he's, got that, for the... he's got that bright yellow, like, boots and and, yeah. uh, and, tra- and he's got the trunks, you know. Like, this is still pre-back injury, so he's not wearing his strap yet. You know, he doesn't have a onesie on. He's got, like, That's the... right. Put it on some red knee pads and he'd have the Hogan. Exactly, yeah. And JYD is in his blue, his pale, sort of sky blue, full length tights with Trump on the side. Uh, thump. Yeah. <laughs> and I think on one side says JYD. Yeah. After the bell rings, Terry tries to lure Andre into his corner. That's right. He's kind of avoiding any kind of, you know, uh, fight. He just wants to like, you know. Clenches his fist and he's like, come here, come here. But like, you know, I I, I sense an ambush. <laughs> Meanwhile, the commentators are like, no, you don't want to do that. You don't want to have fisticuffs with Andre, Terry. <laughs> so he goes for a, a collar and elbow, but uh, Andre gets Terry into a headlock <laughs> so right silly. away. Looks so silly when they do it, right? Like, yeah. He looks. It, it just looks ridiculous when he goes up and tries to lock up with Andre, yeah. and then he just ends up in a headlock right away. Yeah. And then Andre gives him one of these kind of 
thigh head slams where he puts Terry Funk's head on his thigh, he raises yes. his knee, and then he stomps his foot down, and then like the, the transfer of force goes from the foot stomp up to his thigh, and Terry takes a bump. <laughs> yeah, one of the incredible, uh, you know, stand-up arcade video games from the 80s, WWF one, Andre had that move in that game. Oh, right. So he did. Yeah. And undeterred, Terry comes right back into another, goes for another collar and elbow, <laughs> but Andre just puts him right back into a headlock. That's right. Uh, Terry Funk is is really gold. I'm glad that they um, put him from obscurity into essentially main events, yeah. you know, and didn't have to mess around with jobbers very much at all. Like, yeah, just his, he just got his here. syndicated show fights. Yeah. But yeah, once he got there, he was having big matches. Yeah. By the way, do you... Uh, know what Haas means? Uh, not, uh, I, I won't say that I could define it properly. I mean, I just, I've, I've heard people refer that a lot, you know, like, you know, it's yeah. a nick, it's, it's a nickname, I yeah. guess. I don't know what the, the background behind it is. It's just the accented way of saying horse. Oh, okay. Yeah. So a big guy. Yeah. He's as big as a Haas. Ah, yeah. Okay. So that's what Haas comes. There was a uh, a Lennon Skinner song for years. I was like, what is Haas? And I didn't know what the hell it was saying, but right. it, it was Haas. And then it made sense if you replace Haas with horse. Okay. So part of the fun of these, you know, matches with, say, five guys is that there's more than one thing happening at any given time, <laughs> potentially. Right. You got right? to watch a lot of stuff. Yeah. So uh, the. Uh, JYD comes in. I mean, Andre's only in, been in there for about 60 seconds. He tags JYD in, and JYD locks up with, uh, I think it's Haas, but uh, what the what the audience is more interested in is is Jimmy, who's got his megaphone, and he's chirping yeah, yeah. off, you know. Yeah. Come on, baby, you got him. He's still good. <laughs> and, and so Andre uh, tags JYD, but he keeps a hold of Haas, so Haas can't get away. Yeah. And Jimmy's like, you can't hold him. Look at that. He's cheating. Referee's cheating. He's cheating. <laughs> and then so Andre lets go of Haas and stalks over to yeah, Jimmy. Yeah, menacingly like, walks over to the other corner. Yeah. <laughs> and Jimmy hops off the apron, and the audience has a huge laugh. Like, they're all about the heat yeah, for Jimmy right, Hart. Yeah. That's, that's, they just can't wait. He's the star of this match, Jimmy, it feels oh, like. Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah. So uh, meanwhile, JYD and, and Haas lock up. So uh, we get a little bit of uh, wrestling action between these two big guys. I mean, Andre is a different category big. That's right. Um, so Haas goes for a, well, we first we start with a, a shoulder block even because they're, they're the same size. So yeah. they just collide in the middle of the ring and look at each That's other, right, you know, yeah. staring down. Oh, yeah. And so Haas goes for a slam, but JYD blocks him. Uh-huh. And then, oh, this is fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. JYD picks up Haas, gives him a big slam. Terry Funk runs into the ring. JYD scoops him up, slams him on his ass. <laughs> Meanwhile, Haas stands up. JYD scoops him up, slams him on his That's ass. Right. In the meantime, Terry stands up, scoops him up, on, slams him on his ass. And now Jimmy Hart's running into the ring and he's going to get scooped up. He's like, oh, no, I'm back. He runs away from JYD. It's fucking hilarious. And, and oh, man, I just, yeah, I, I, these funks are, are genius. They're so yeah. good. Um, but, the, okay, so that was just so much fun. So, no, Jimmy's not going to get slammed. You know, they're really, right. you know, they really take their time. Like, this is a, a fantastic main event. Uh, of course, you know, may as well say it now. The, basically, I guess we have to say that, you know, JYD's angle is he feuds with heart yeah, un- until exactly. he goes. Yeah. You know, he's like, he's backup tag team partner guy. And then yeah. he gets backup tag team partners to help him feud with Hart. Yes. Whoever's, you know, so. It's without getting into like sort of the, everything with it, but it's like Jerry Lawler, Jimmy Hart started together in Memphis. They split apart. 
and then Jimmy Hart brings in a cavalcade of villains to try to take out Jerry Lawler. And then he comes to the WWF and eventually gets into this feud with, as you said, with JYD. And he just rotates through all of his men to, like, right. you know, take a tr- crack at JYD. So we complained a little bit about JYD not getting the the, the gold, but uh, uh, this would show that he did shine, you know, because the crowd, you know, when they're booing Jimmy Hart, this is, you know, it's kind of JYD's heat, you know, you know, yeah. you know, like Andre hasn't really feuded with Jimmy Hart. So JYD, I, I feel a little better now that he does get, you know, some, his time in the sun in the WWF because he's so popular and, you know, this is it. This, this is a really good example of, you know, the crowd going crazy for JYD in the way that they just really want Jimmy yeah. Hart to suffer. Oh, after all those slams, there's a really funny clearing of the ring where like everybody like stumbles and falls. And like, I think it's Terry Funk after his second slam, he backs into Andre, but like scared like a horror movie, he realizes like what's going on. And then he does like a Pratt fall where he like, he falls like he's doing like scuba diving off the side of a boat, you know, through the ropes to the outside, you know, he goes backwards, <laughs> like butt first through the bottom rope and the middle rope or something. Right. Yeah. And Haas Funk manages to spill out and Jimmy manages to spill out. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, well, that's uh, always a good image, you know, the the heels on the outside, the heroes on the inside saying, come on back in here, you, <laughs> you know, that was Jerry Blackwell's. So we get back here, you chicken shit after he's been pounded for That's right. 20 minutes they actually have a, they're actually chanting we want jimmy i think that they're, <laughs> well, like, the crowd is Hoss tries to tag him and he won't tag <laughs> typical jimmy hart was actually a really awesome in the ring performer <laughs> yeah. and you know i didn't i wish we'd seen more of this That's uh because right. you know i i didn't really enjoy say danny davis you know but you know if with jimmy jimmy hart had climbed into the ring more <laughs> we could have gotten more of this awesome okay so we have just a ridiculously silly spot that comes up it's super fun okay see if i can get through this all right so what you get is jyd and haas are in the ring you get a collar and elbow and then into the ropes jyd J- sorry we have uh who tosses who into the ropes i think it's uh i think it's haas ch- tosses jyd into the ropes but it's one of these like as soon as jyd's on the ropes and haas is in the middle he heads for the other ropes so Alternate, that like yeah. yeah so that they can be do a crisscross but meanwhile terry climbs into the ring so that you have three guys kind of <laughs> running into the ropes and jyd sees this and he kind of like backs <laughs> off to one side of the ropes so that jy uh, so that he's just uh, watching as haas and and terry funk are going so terry realizes that he's got one eye on andre so he can't <laughs> keep his he doesn't really know what's going on and he's kind of like he he's like bouncing but sort of spinning to watch andre and he spins around and he sees he's about to go splat into haas because yeah. Haas is running. Well, so I like, think the visual that's so funny is when Terry comes in, he immediately joins Haas. So like they're running near, like they're running beside each other, which can't allow for like a, a collision opportunity here. So as Jeff said, Terry Funk does this brilliant little... spot where he he grabs the rope and looks at Andre. So now he he delays himself. So now that Haas has gone across, so now that they can run at each other. Yeah, because <laughs> the whole angle is supposed to go splat in the middle of the ring, <laughs> yes. you know, and you know, so a little bit of bumbling, so that uh, <laughs> so a little good. bit of some spinning around, some. You know, but Terry is so great at that. I mean, Haas is really the serious player. He doesn't go for the comedy, <laughs> but uh, Terry is just genius at that. So that was a fucking hilarious bit. Yeah, because yeah. right before they do 
are about to go splat, you know, Terry just puts his hands up like, whoa, That's right. <laughs> so that was a fucking, and the crowd is just loving it. They're getting a lot of laughs out of this match. <laughs> yeah. They're having a good time. <laughs> I, I looked at that. At I've that, seen in modern wrestling where like sometimes someone will do like a crisscross for like a ridiculous amount of time. Like right. the second guy will stop running and just watch. Yeah. And the other guy will bounce off the ropes like eight times or something. Yeah. And I feel like this is the predecessor to that. Like just this really yeah. ridiculous. And after he notices he almost runs into Haas, you know, <laughs> Terry's like looks over his shoulder and he sees the ref. He's like, what are you doing there? And then he looks over his shoulder and Andre's there. He's like, oh man, danger on all sides. He just no, no safe haven for Terry Funk. <laughs> so things calm down, and now we see Haas or Dory Funk, as uh, we also know him, Dory Funk Jr. Mm-hmm, taunting Andre the Giant. <laughs> That's right. He actually, uh, you know, JYD and Andre are conferring strategy and uh, talking, and Haas kicks the ropes. And then he backs up and does the whole, come here, you know, taunts him in with his hands, you know. But they don't tag in Andre. I was surprised. No, yeah, I thought Andre would come in Yeah, there. especially since Andre's actually only done 60 seconds in the ring. Yeah, and then JYD's been in there now for about four minutes. Like, yeah. hard to gauge. I mean, it always seems longer than it is, especially when you're enjoying it. Um, but wrestling matches are much quicker than we tend to think. Yeah. So the heels get a bit an advantage. They start working JYD with, you know, the um, the forearms, kind of forearm uppercuts. So yeah. They're not actually illegal blows. I don't know. They call those European. Yeah, forearm uppercuts, European yeah. uppercuts. Right. Okay, so a couple of those. Uh, JYD gets backed into heels corner. They tag in Terry Funk, and Terry Funk gives him five quick elbows to the back of the head. Bang, 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 bang. Bang. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then pile driver. Yeah, really quick. And JYD's got the leg twitch. Yes. He's doing some funky chicken on the road. So perfect time for Jimmy Hart, baby. I, I got him now. You got him. So they tag him in and like, now look at the mouth of the South. Go to work on the JYD. <laughs> and he like does a diving, you know, double axe handle to the gut. Yep. And he's like stands up, gives him a couple kicks. And then he's choking him. He's and bouncing, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's great. But then the JYD realizes who it is. He opens his eyes. Yeah, so, What's that? A mosquito? <laughs> Exactly. So he starts to slowly no-sell Jimmy Hart, and he's sitting up, and Jimmy Hart gets really scared, and he tries to get away and tag, but but JYD grabs him by the back of his pants. That's right. So he can't quite, but he does make it to the tag. That's so he right. escapes to the really, the drawn up attention. Uh, the crowd loves it. Oh, like we've already made the point. It's all about JYD getting his hands on Jimmy Hart. For sure, yeah. Okay. <laughs> So then they take JYD outside of the ring, and Haas picks him up and drops him on a barrier throat across the metal. Yeah, it's a really, barricade. It's a really different looking barricade. It is. It's very thin. And red. And it's kind of like, it's only like an outline of a railing. You yeah. Know? Like there's no bars in the middle or As, whatever. It's absolutely. almost like a, it's like a rectangle that's yeah. got legs. <laughs> yeah. From the wide long shot, you can't even see it. You just know that he's being picked up and dropped on something. That's right, yeah. And then you come around and see that, oh, right, what a small looking. Anyway, so JYD's really hurt now. Because yeah. uh, he's... he's on the floor outside of the ring, which gives Jimmy Hart more chances to hurt him. And he comes over and he's working JYD <laughs> some more. Uh, the only thing that we don't get is he's not clobbering him with the megaphone at That's this right. point. That's right, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. just like laying the boots and punching him. And so it's it's going awesome for the heels, yeah. When we get JYD back into the ring, we have a bit of a odd forecasting or telegraphing what's going to happen. I've never seen one wrestler take another wrestler into the corner and smash the wrestler's head into the 
turnbuckle using a Von Erich claw. And that looks like what Terry's doing. Like so on the back of his head, you mean? Or? No. Oh. So Terry grabs JYD with what looks like a Von Erich claw, but oh, he's, not, okay. he's, not, he's not doing a yeah, submission. He puts his hand on the back of his head and his hand on his face, a la right. claw. Yeah. And then he rears JYD back to smash his head in the turnbuckle but right. it's like so obvious that like but if you do that your hand is between his forehead and like, like, it's, it's the Bobby Heenan uh, Bundy avalanche yeah I'll hold him <laughs> squash us both so it's kind of like you know there's going to be a reversal yeah. and sure enough I mean like so Terry like you know don't put the claw hand on him when you're <laughs> yeah, about to yeah. bash him in the turnbuckle anyway so you get a reversal and then you get the tan one two you get yeah. the, the smash and, and, the, and the crowd just loves it and yeah, that's boy, right Terry what a, what a genius it's selling but jyd goes for a diving headbutt and misses yes so jyd is still stunned and terry's not too bad because he gets to he has enough energy to tag in his brother hoss comes in and they put the injured jyd into a sleeper hold mm, yeah and so they slow things down a little bit everybody can rest hold <laughs> that's right and jyd sinks to his knees sinks to his butt and it looks like trouble and then yeah. tag what yeah so jesse's <laughs> like why did he let him go <laughs> it's strange but don't worry they put it, the next funk brother puts the sleeper right back on him. Right. it's okay so this of course will lead us to the traditional pick up the ref will pick up the wrestler's arm uh, to see if they're conscious and uh, if it just flops to their side he'll pick it up again to see if the wrestler has the strength to hold his arm up if it flops down one more chance to see if you're you know <laughs> fit to continue the match this is tradition it, it you know happens yeah. all the time anyway so of course jyd is not going to go down to a sleeper hold no way and he manages to escape the double funk sleeper well they Jim, jimmy hart wants in oh right yeah <laughs> so as, they're me, about, right? as they're about to count the, they do the arm flop and as they're going for the second one jimmy's like no no let me do it and so he comes in <laughs> all and, right and so at this point junkyard dog is kind of like laying on his stomach flat and jimmy hart's like riding him like piggyback <laughs> and giving him a sleeper right <laughs> and then there you go Does, yeah right so that's that's what allows JYD to recover. <laughs> That's right. Jimmy Hart's weak sleeper. <laughs> the Funk's biggest weakness here is letting Jimmy Hart in the ring ever. <laughs> yeah. So finally, we get Andre back into the ring because it's been JYD. Yeah. You know, I mean, you wouldn't notice it. It's been a great match, but they've really kept Andre on, on the apron. That's right. And we got a noggin knocker. So uh, somehow both Funks are in there because... Because right, it's, it's standard. Whenever the good guys tag, both heels immediately come in the ring. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like the good guy waits on the apron for like five, six, seven, eight, nine minutes letting his teammate get beaten up, hoping for a tag. And then as soon as the hot tag is made, it's immediately a, a one-on-two. <laughs> That's right. And uh, almost always, the hot face can handle those two That's heels. Right. That's right. And so he, yeah, he gets a double knock and knocker, and then he clobbers Jimmy. Fucking kills him. <laughs> yeah. And he stands up and takes another one. That's right. Oh, Jimmy Hart can take hits he from Andre the Giant. I think he headbutts him. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody yeah. get an ambulance. That's amazing. I thought that, you know, we wouldn't see Hart in the match anymore. Oh, exactly. <laughs> because, I mean, you know, remember when Andre headbutts Lanny Poffo, it splits his forehead, you know, yeah, and like yeah, he gives exactly. just like scary. Yeah. So, yes, they, both punks are now trying to handle Andre because he's just so much humanity. But the, Andre can't be controlled. The ref can't control the action, can't <laughs> no. get one of the funks out of the ring. I mean, eventually he does get one of the funk brothers out of the ring. But so we're back to a does, wrestling match. As soon as he does, Terry reaches in from the floor and he's holding Grabbing on Andre's ankles. leg yeah. from the side. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it amounts to like they're double teaming Andre, but not actually getting the better of him. That's right. You know, for the next minute or two. Uh, Andre gets in some big slaps on oh. Haas, Chad, and a big chop on Haas. But he whips Haas into the ropes and lifts his leg, and Haas 
dodges the big boot. Yeah. I want to see this on Hogan one of these days. I never really saw anyone do like what Haas did here. He ducks under the boot. Yeah. And then, was it a shoulder tackle? I don't no, know. No, he kind of does almost like a standing, a, a jumping, leaping forearm without without the Tito style. Like, he, he didn't dive at him, but he, right. just, he runs into him and jumps up in the air to land a, a forearm shot. Right. And uh, Andre takes it, he sells, and before you know it, Andre does his tied up in the rope spot. Patented. Patented. So this allows the Funks to do a bunch of double teaming and booting and, and hurting Andre, wearing him down. <laughs> Andre yeah. gets to relax a bit. Um <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, yeah. But uh, eventually, I think it's uh, Terry who's in there. Yeah, Andre eventually has had enough. He's recovered. Well, well, dog comes in and gives him a headbutt as the ref is getting Haas out, and he junkyard dog takes that advantage and takes a headbutt, which allows Andre to get his arms out of the ropes. Right, but Terry's still working him. You're he's right. chopping him. Yeah, Jesse's chopping like, him. He's but, hurt. <laughs> yeah, then, no. but Andre just slowly no sells him. He gives him a Jimmy Hart treatment, and yeah. and Terry's just like chop. And they start sl- slowing down. Chop. He, he actually he, literally, after about five chops, Andre actually does like the, he lightly brushes his own chest. You right. Know, like to yeah. show him like, you know, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Get the crumbs off kind of thing. They start, you know, clobbering Funk oh to the point God. where Clunk, he, his, his, his legs go, but Andre won't let him fall to the yeah, mat. He's got him by that big scruffy hair and he's yeah. headbutting him and slapping him. And it's just, he's like, he looks like he's dead, but he's holding yeah. up the corpse. <laughs> yeah. And then they, they let JYD in. He does the same thing. Yeah. And Jesse's complaining, there's no call for that because it's so clear <laughs> that uh, Terry Funk should be like unconscious on the mat, but That's they're right. just holding him up. Actually, it's a great angle. Yeah. A lot of cool angles in this match that you just yeah. don't see much, you know, like holding the guy up when he can. <laughs> oh, it was so good. Yeah. So we're getting near to the end of the match and this is, uh, you know, the fans are getting their money's worth tonight. That's for sure. We have a strange incident where now it's Haas and JYD are tangled up and, and I think Haas gets him in a side headlock and he walks JYD over to Andre and makes the tag. Basically, we were getting to the finish. Here comes the finish. He makes the tag, but the ref is off camera but we have to gather that the ref doesn't see the tag because on yeah you got a baby here who knows what could have distracted you what could have done it man? baby over here baby baby <laughs> anyway so uh, Andre climbs into the ring because he tagged JYD but the ref having not seen it comes over to chase Andre out meanwhile we were talking about multiple things going on at once the Funk Brothers have got JYD set up for Jimmy Hart and Jimmy Hart climbs to the top rope and gets the megaphone ready to clobber JYD in the back of the head not the front. So while Andre is trying to, the ref is trying to chase Andre out, but instead Andre grabs him by the shoulders and spins him around 180 so that he sees Jimmy Hart come up a top rope and clobber JYD with the megaphone, which of course leads to the DQ. Meanwhile, Andre grabs the Funk Brothers, the dastardly heels, and gives them a big <laughs> noggin knocker, which sends them sprawling. Uh, JYD's pretty badly hurt because he's just taking the megaphone bump. That's right. But uh, the uh, Funks are now hurt and out of the ring. But again, this is all about getting Jimmy Hart alone. And it's neat too because like the uh, the bell rings of course the referee signals for the bell immediately as soon as Andre spins him around and the house lights come up. Yeah. And that's kind of a neat little you know difference of like what you're not used to when you know Raw's going off the air or whatever it's like the look is the look, you know, it doesn't change. So yeah. this, the fact that they have like, they change the lighting in the middle, like at the end of this match, it's so neat because it kind of changes the atmosphere a little bit. Right. So while Andre is, is clearing the ring of the Funk Brothers, JYD is, uh, JYD is getting it, is, you know, somewhat vulnerable because uh, Jimmy Hart thinks he's got the chance to hurt JYD, but we have <laughs> the JYD, you know, sort of like, you're not hurting me and catches right. Jimmy Hart. Yeah, he's and then keep, Andre well, he's, turns. He's, he's putting the boots to JYD, but it doesn't last long. Yeah. So JYD catches Jimmy Hart and now the crowd 
crowd finally gets what they want, which is, you know, Jimmy Hart, vulnerable, alone, payback. <laughs> That's right. And Andre turns around, and it's just JYD and Andre and Jimmy Hart, and now he's going to get it. This leads to a, you know, uh, anticlimactic botch of a spot, but it doesn't matter really because the match has been so much fun. And yeah. uh, so what Andre is essentially by the ropes near the ramp on, on the ramp side of the ring. And Jimmy is going to, JYD is going to whip Jimmy into Andre and then we'll see what Andre does with them. But it looks like Andre is going to try to hip toss Jimmy over the ropes into the Funk Brothers who are standing on the ramp and all three of them will take a exactly, big spell. Exactly, yeah. But unfortunately, yeah. Unfortunately, uh, <laughs> group spill. It doesn't work. So uh, yeah, I, I think he was supposed to catch him almost like a body slam and then dump him over on top of the Funks. And Jimmy jumps for him. Like Jim, yeah. Jimmy jumps into like Andre's like chest and stomach area, but it just yeah he just doesn't can't make catch it, him. He doesn't just, make it over the ropes. And... It's so strange because Jimmy's so small and Andre's so strong, yet he's so unstable yeah. at this point in his career that he just can't really do it. <laughs> yeah, so he's got to grab him by the seat of the pants and then hoist him over the top rope and so then the kind of it's, like it's like a pet dump. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and shove him into the Funk Brothers, yeah. and they have to uh, awkwardly spill for it to make that yeah. work. <laughs> but it all happens so quickly that yeah. you know we're forgiving and the audience is forgiving and uh, the heels make their way back to the dressing room. No, the, no, they, they come back oh, in oh, right, right away. They, that's one, right. more, one more shot. Right, one more shot. That's right. The Funk Brothers just won't be deterred. Maybe that's why people are, like, I think the, I don't The crowd's know. leaving pretty quick, yeah. because yeah, they announced the winners. The guys raise their arms, they hug, and by the time they raise their arms a second time, people are already got their backs to the ring that's and right, they're heading yeah. up to the, you know, the exits. So, I don't know, maybe they went late that night or something. Could be, yeah, maybe. But, uh, over oh and oh yeah one more thing the Funk Brothers after that attack they get cleared out of the ring one more time then you hear chain, chain first Andre oh, swinging right. it around like the end of Conan or something and it's <laughs> kind of scary because the yeah. ref is still in there and you and like Andre's not really looking at him so you're just kind of thinking like everybody else is out of the ring but the ref is still in there kind of ducking <laughs> and Andre's not looking and I'm like oh shit you're gonna hit that ref so Terry you know scared of the chain he goes out and there was what looked like some guys in marching band hats yeah, or something so yeah, I thought yeah. it's like he attacking a drum because you can hear it yeah you can hear what sounds like a drum being right. hit bang 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 but then he comes up with what appears to be a broken piece of stairs yeah like a plank a of wood, wood from from the stairs piece of wood yeah he's and he's got a weapon <laughs> yeah and he's you know doesn't get back into the ring <laughs> smartly <laughs> yeah but what an entertaining match between andre the giant junkyard dog the funk brothers and their manager jimmy hart oh man it's just yeah it's super funny there's a lot of i noticed in the host show results and, and we have another match coming up that kind of maybe is reflective of this but like this idea of these odd numbered tag matches involving these managers where they can you know the crowd can really get enjoyment from them getting their comeuppance finally after you know all this stuff so it's it's really funny though yeah this was uh this was yeah this is probably the most entertaining thing we we came across this week but uh, it's good stuff so just a quick note while we're talking about the funks I just noticed on March 28th and 29th ho show matches between the Funk Brothers and the British Bulldogs Wow! No footage. Yeah, I wish I could have seen a match of theirs. They would just bump so well for the Bulldogs, and you know, and and they would get their offense in, and yeah, it would be you know, be neat matches. Too bad. You are watching the USA Network. Recognized 
Okay, it's March 30th. It's the really the go-home show for WrestleMania 2, an episode of All-Star Wrestling. An episode of All-American Wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> Featuring the best of Germany, That's Japan, right. <laughs> Canada. <laughs> so just to, you know, peel the curtain back again, in Winnipeg, we really only had access to our Maple Leaf Wrestling, kind of superstars of wrestling, whatever it might have been at that time. So we didn't ever see this syndicated show, and it, it looks a lot different. It's got a different opening. It's got a different feel. You know, you realize as you watch it, it's not a series of matches taped at one venue with one set of, you know, announcers. It's things clipped together. So we get Gene kind of hosting throughout from his almost like update kind of backstage, what do you want to call it, like electrical room? like Control <laughs> room. Control room. Yeah, there's monitors everywhere and technicians. But as we go from match to match, we hear we hear different announcers and we realize this is sort of a, a I don't want to call it clip show, but it's kind of, it's, it's put together differently than the syndicated show we watched. And this opening is very different because it shows like, it's kind of funny. It goes back and forth between like wrestling moves and monuments, <laughs> you know, like Hogan drops a leg and then it's the, you know, a bridge. <laughs> yeah. It's always neat to see the opening uh, of a different show, which is so familiar to so many people, but having never seen this before, I, I couldn't even remember the melody of the song that they had. Yeah. We definitely didn't have USA Network and that was where a lot of the WWF shows were. So we just didn't have that stuff. Uh, so yeah, we kind of get into the show and one of the first commercials comes up and we get... A Thumb Wrestler commercial. No matter where you are, with Thumb Wrestlers, it's just like being in a wrestling ring. With Hulk Hogan and Rowdy Roddy Piper. One, two, three, pin! Wherever you are, it's like real wrestling action. With Junkyard Dog and Volkov. Thumb Wrestle Anywhere with Hulk and the Iron Sheik. Okay, kids, back to class. Wrestle Anywhere with wrestling superstars, Thumb Wrestlers, new from LJN. So I mentioned before that I had some Thumb Wrestlers. Jeff, I, I, you kind of didn't say much, so I, I can't remember. Did you ever really see them, or did you know anyone that had the Thumb Wrestlers? I did not have them. I did, you know, come across them, uh, I think, once or twice, And but I was too old now to really uh, right. to play wrestling with toys. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I no, mean, I, like, I didn't I, really make them fight. I had them in my heyday. Like, I had them when they first came out. And right. that was like, I didn't want the LJNs. Like I said, I wanted one of these. Yeah. Because <laughs> they, were, they were more flexible. They were better yeah. to wrestle with. Well, yeah, I um, just missed it. Yeah, cool. Uh, so we get a Bundy squash match. We're just going to go through. There's a lot of stuff on this episode. I can't believe how much of a commercial this is for WrestleMania 2. Like, you talk about, like, you know, the go-home shows for, you know, pay-per-views these days or whatever you want to call it. They got nothing on the way McMahon used to you know, promote his supercard because it's just wall-to-wall, back-and-forth, like, every moment they have. Again, I contrast that with Starcage, which they just, you know, buried as far as the Winnipeg fans of yeah. It just wasn't part of our broadcast. At least it was so minimalized that it was something that we couldn't even remember. So during this uh, Bundy squash match, Jesse and Monsoon spend the entire time, obviously, just talking about the upcoming Bundy Hogan match and just kind of speaks to like where they're trying to go with this. They're trying to make us think about that match. And it's interesting because at some point, Jesse refers to the mesh fence for the cage. Okay. Well, that's uh, Bobby Heenan has will have words <laughs> for right. Jack Tenney and all the authorities about this cage. So it makes me think like this close that they're not really they're not really promoting the fact that it's going to be the big blue cage. You know that, that maybe the audience isn't really aware. I, I can't recall watching myself. You know, I definitely was watching. 
I don't remember knowing about the cage until I saw it. Maybe maybe they were t- maybe it was talked about. Maybe it wasn't. But it's kind of neat. Maybe and when was that decision made to like you know switch from like a normal typical steel cage you know with the fencing, the mesh fence versus the big blue bars which we got for so many years. Well, I I I, I couldn't say. Yeah, I also share your curiosity and I wonder as well. I'm now thinking about Bundy and you know the mesh fence and how that might have limited things. Yeah, for sure. But also, I now realize that Bundy, earlier this episode, we discussed that I, I don't think I ever gave him enough credit for his agility or skill. Right, yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. He could he could move for a big man. So we And get... he sold great too, eh? <laughs> oh, Just the way yeah. he talked. Yeah, and the, he, he would was... stagger when guys would punch him, you know, when the yeah. good guys would have their comebacks, you know, he would really... And taunting the crowd. Yep. All he that was a, stuff. He, I don't give, yeah. Some post, yeah. Lo, Bundy, I never gave you enough love. <laughs> so we get a segment that comes up a few times. So it's initially called A Moment with Gene. Yeah. Well, this is really uncharacteristic. The WWF for us was this family friendly product. And we talked about how the NWA had a lot of sexual references. Well, this was a WWF being about as risque as, as it got. A lovely young lady, but let's call her 25 to 30, uh, you know, is uh, on screen. Gene uh, says, come on in here, Leslie. Um, but uh, <laughs> he's so forward with her. Like, it would basically creep out a lot of people today because Gene is yeah, visibly... And, I, and right before he brings her out, sorry, he, I think he ble- he does a phone call thing about uh, my wife or something, you know, oh like... God. So, you know, he really sets it up. <laughs> his wife? Oh, <laughs> yeah, his wife that. is on the line. <laughs> And he talks to a few different people. He talks to a couple of the uh, stars from like that are going to be on the WrestleMania two show. Oh. And he keeps and, he, and like without him hanging up, it's like he's being connected to different calls. Oh and right, he's, he's doing one side of a, of a conversation, and then part of it's like he mentions his wife. Which as we get back to Leslie, <laughs> you'll see why that's important. Okay, well I, I bumbled that one, but now you've got a pretty good picture of what happened. <laughs> yeah, I guess I was just focused focused on the lady. <laughs> that's pretty good. Okay, so after Gene pretends to talk to all these. Rock stars and Hollywood stars. And then he dodges his wife. <laughs> That's right. Uh, he calls in this model. You know, she's very poised, elegant, and slender, beautiful. And he doesn't really say, here's wrestling expert. He just says, Leslie, come on out here. <laughs> what and is she doing there? <laughs> puts his arm around her waist and like, I think almost immediately nuzzles her neck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and she's unfazed. I mean, like, I guess, you know, she's probably a, a waitress at a strip, strip club or something. <laughs> she knew it was coming anyway. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's all uh, okay because she doesn't show any signs of distress. So it's, I don't get too uncomfortable watching it because, you know, she's an actress. He's a performer. I'm not bothered by this, but you know, nowadays a lot of people raise their eyes. It's funny. <laughs> anyway. So yeah, he, he's just so clearly it, 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 it borders, you know, you think that like, this is a woman of the night because he just like nuzzles her neck right away and she yeah. doesn't even oh, flinch. So the person on the phone calls is Dr. Ruth. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> call back to that. Yeah. That's <laughs> That's right. The, 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 Dr. Ruth Headband. The sex expert. <laughs> so um, that's a bit puzzling, but there it is. And, uh, you know, I, I thought it was kind of fun, you know, a bit more adult entertainment and she'll be back. That's right. So, yeah, he kind of closed the segment almost like you said, like putting his armor, like almost turning into her, like they're going to start making out or something as it, as it goes oh, you know, off camera. He's, 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 he's as intimate, you know, yeah. <laughs> as two people can be. Like, you know, he's he, yeah, he's got his arm around her waist. He, he puts his... <laughs> basically his face into her neck, you know, and gives her a little nuzzle or something. <laughs> yep. Oh, Gene. Okay. Are we, are we on the air? We are on the air. Oh, my word. Refrigerator Perry, 
Yes, refrigerator. Hold on a second. Yes. Who is it? My wife collect from London. Alfred. They don't see this show in London, do they? Oh, oh, oh my word, I didn't realize. Hold on a second. Okay. Yeah, Susan St. James. Susan, how are you, my dear? Looking forward to seeing you in New York as part of WrestleMania. Hold on a second, Susan. Yes, Elvira. Elvira, my dear. You're going to be working with Jesse the Body Ventura in Los Angeles as part of WrestleMania. Hello? My God, she hung up. And from there, we're going right into a big commercial for pushing the closed-circuit venues for WrestleMania 2 and what the show's about. And it's Vince's voiceover. And this gets us into, like, our glory days of 80s and 90s pay-per-views. We're all about Vince McMahon, you know, selling that show and that voice, you know. And it was just, it's so amazing. And we'll put, you know, some sounds from it on this and, and you'll, you'll hear it. But again, like... Throughout this show, repeatedly, there's different versions of these commercials that just keep pushing things and pushing things. And it's interesting the order that they list the matches sometimes or what they really push. Like, the Intercontinental title and tag team titles are sort of like, in the first commercial, seem like a total afterthought. Like, they're like some of the last matches that get listed. Like, you start with Hogan Bundy, and then it's like the boxing match, and then the Battle Royal, and then other stuff, and then like, you know, somewhere below... Like, Jake the Snake versus George Wells is apparently the other two titles, you know, like... Right. <laughs> wow, that's a strange way to treat your gold. Yeah, but uh, but like I said, there's, there's different versions of these commercials, and in some of the other commercials, those matches are given more credence. The greatest sports entertainment spectacular of all time at WrestleMania 2, presented via giant color closed circuit, Monday night, April 7, the steel cage match, King Kong Bundy versus champion Hulk Hogan, 10 rounds of boxing, pits Mr. T against Rowdy, Roddy Piper, participants in the 20-man, over-the-top rope battle royal, include the refrigerator, William Perry, Andre the Giant, Two Tall Jones, Big John Stud, Russ Francis, Bruno Sammartino, and more. Guest ring announcers, Joan Rivers, Lee Majors. Guest timekeepers, her, Ricky Schroeder, Clark Peller. Guest referee, Dick Butkus, Robert Conrad. Guest boxing judges, Daryl Dawkins, T. Gordon Liddy, Cam Calloway. Guest commentators, Susan St. James, Elvira, Cassidy Crosby. Other great matches include Orndorff Morocco, Elmer Adonis, Bulldogs, Valentine, Beefcake, Steel Savage, Snake Wells, Mula McIntyre, Kushner Volkoff, Tito and Dog against the Funk Brothers, Steve Hernandez, guest vocalist, the Greek. But from there, we're going to go to a Lord Alfred celebrity update. Yeah, well, he leaned in heavily, Vince McMahon Jr., to the celebrity participation. And there has to be like a dozen, perhaps, people of different levels of fame, let's put it that way. (laughs) Like you've got some legitimate superstars like Ray Charles. You know, this guy is famous today i mean i think he's actually probably passed yeah. and uh, but he's been famous for decades so you've got people of, of world class talent and fame like ray charles and you've got some other celebrities of the day susan st james and ricky schroeder brilliant young actor ricky schroeder <laughs> it's kind of cool because each one of them gets a you know a little description a little tag yeah. yeah before and like as lord alfred hayes lists them off so yeah. and you've got some athletes as well and movie stars but they start with lee majors who never shows up. So yeah, he's the big one that's missing. He's $6 million he's, man. He's, he's promoted right up until the week of the event, and then if for whatever reason he doesn't have any appearances, he's not at the show. But if you're an 80s nostalgia buff, then you're going to love the oddest inclusion on this list, <laughs> which was uh, Burger King 
Whopper promotion. There was a guy, the only man in America who's never tasted a flame broiled, delicious, you know, and that was the whole thing. There's only one guy. Everybody loves it except for this one guy. So his name is Herb. And we're going to give you a couple of samples of, of the ads at the time. I do vaguely remember this Herb yeah, guy. Yeah, this is the kind of stuff where you would never come up with this in your own memory. But as soon as it gets put in front of you, you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. This was yeah. a thing. So um, the elusive burger guy, Herb, is also scheduled to appear at WrestleMania 2. Sometime soon, this man could walk into your life and make you a millionaire. This man is Herb. Now that Herb loves the Whopper, he's visiting a Burger King in every state. Study the Herb poster, because the first person to spot Herb in each restaurant wins $5,000, and everybody there gets a chance at a million and a free Whopper and Pepsi. Spot Herb at Burger King and win $5,000 and a chance at a million. Anyway, um, so I, Lyra, and what we're, you're going to get to hear some clips. Yeah, we'll hear a little bit of Elvira as well, yeah. And, uh, I guess now's a pretty good time to maybe listen to a celebrity or two. If you'd like to see the perfect pair, just watch for me, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, along with Jesse, the Body Ventura, on WrestleMania 2, April 7th. See you there. Okay, another segment on this episode is uh, basically a battle royal interview. And so what they do is they have Lord Alfred Hayes asking questions, not to the wrestlers, but sort of like voicing over these screened questions. And then you get like a montage of responses from the participants in the battle royal, which of course include usual faces from the WWF. But famously from this battle royal, there are six NFL players. And this is this thing's pretty funny. So celebrity battle royal at WrestleMania basically, two. So celebrity I battle mean, like, there's three cities, right? So this is the kind yeah. of the main event of one of the cities. It's, it's the it's the second from the last. The, the, it's in Chicago. The Bulldogs and and Dream Team go on last, and the battle royal is the second last match. Although it's promoted much higher on the card. Like when you last people, like, oh, what's the most important thing in WrestleMania two? Like I'm going to tell you, like the best match and like the second most important match is the tag match. But that's not what everybody else thinks. So. <laughs> Mm. So the Battle Royal gets more airplay, more media attention than obviously the tag match does, even though it's not the last match on its show. And it's got the Chicago Bears. They're in Chicago. All makes yeah, sense. Yeah, not all of them, but there's a few. There's a handful. I think of the six, <laughs> I think maybe four of them or three of them are from the Chicago Bears. No, I Bears. think every Chicago Bear was in that Battle That's right. <laughs> all the retirees, Yeah, they got managers, like 58. Uh, Waterboys. <laughs> they got the full team. Cheerleaders. <laughs> so Gene sets up the segment, and then, like I said, they, they'll put up a graphic, and it'll say something along the lines of, like, like, are you afraid of being landed on by someone else? Or, you know, something along that lines, like really weird questions and what, you know, and you just get like a cavalcade of all these different people giving their answers. So you see Dan Spivey, you see a football player, Russ Francis, who basically looks like he's a car salesman. Like you can't really tell how big he is in the fo- in the fit footage. So he, the way he's dressed, he does not look like a, you know, a football player or a fighter or something like that. And you get Cheeky Baby when he just gets, kind of gets in there with this, like, I grew up with the toughest, and they kind of cut him off. <laughs> like, you know, he doesn't really get to finish his, uh, his thought. And there's a guy, Harvey Martin, one of the football players. I don't even recognize him. And then the next segment is, what if you win? <laughs> like, you know, what are you going to do if you win? And this guy, <laughs> Harvey Martin, he's like, he says, I don't know. I'm going to have to go away for a week and think about that. <laughs> Nice. It's not really. So wait, I thought this is where Herb was going to make his appearance in the Battle Royal. (laughs) That'd be good. So Stud comes on the screen and he kind of trips over his words a bit and which is, you know, uncommon because he's a guy that knows how to do a promo. 
But then he, like, William the Refrigerator Perry's like, here, hold my beer. Because Refrigerator Perry is, like, the worst promo of all time. He bumbles and fumbles through not only this promo, a different promo on the same episode. Like, he just can't get his words out. And it's like, and he's the celebrty, really, right? Like, of the football players, he's the he's right. the guy that everybody knows, the hometown he had, boy and the, you know. He had Coke commercials. It tastes right. a lot of Coke to fill the fridge. <laughs> and they made a G.I. Joe toy of him, just like they did Sergeant Slaughter. Yeah, yeah. See, so King Tonga, he's, he never does promos, so that's funny to hear him talking. And then there's a guy named Bill Fralick, and he's a football player. This is my and- King Tonga. As he's kicking the shit at you. So famously, Bill Fralick is kind of like, kind of played up a bit a bit of a heel. Like he did, you know, purposely he leaned into it, kind of like I'm a bad guy, you know, and well, he, he did it well. Is and he, he a Chicago Bear? Um, good question. I think he is, but I don't want to. Say the name again? Bill Fralick. And famously, John Studd did not like this guy. And he was actually really pissed off at how much of the attention at the press conference and the media week before WrestleMania 2 that the football players were getting over. So, you know, a lot of people said that Studd laid in some, some heavy shots on some of these guys because he was pissed off that like, you know, why are you, you know, why are you spending attention to try to make these guys look better than us? We're like, mm. we're your guys. Wow. You know, we're your wrestlers. Why aren't you, why aren't you focusing on us? So there was actually kind of like some heat between Freilich and Stud before the, you know, re- like fake heat and real heat. <laughs> yeah, make it more interesting because, you know, the Battle Royal was uh, not that great. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, they, they struggle at times. There's only a few Battle Royals that truly kind of connect. Um, it's hard to do. You know, nobody can, until a bunch of people are gone, you can't really do any moves. It's a lot of standing around and these, and punching these football each other. players, like, they get so gassed. If I, I, I think my memories of this match are like some fucking tired football players. <laughs> Everybody in the shiny pants is just like barely standing, <laughs> sucking air. Yep. Yeah. So we see Hillbilly Jim, Bieber and Blair's there, and he says, you know, everyone else in there is a, is an individual, but him and Jim Brunzel are there as a team, and they're going to work together. And they're not there to win, you know, they're not there to win to get the money or the fame. They're doing it to get one step closer to the world tag team titles. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what is, what? <laughs> yeah, I know. I really wish the Killer Bees had had a title run. Yeah. Um, did you say that they got to win it in a switcheroo or anything? No, the the, the Rougeaus did the Montreal uh, one where they, they won it for a second as good uh, guys and it didn't stick. Uh-huh. The Rockers had the broken ropes. Yeah, nobody else. The 80s, the, the belts didn't move too much, right? So there was yeah. only so many tag team title reigns to go around. Right. And Demolition hogged, you know, a third of the decade. So. <laughs> <laughs> hogged. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Demolition hog. So then we get a, a rare Ted RCD sighting, which was like this huge muscle guy. He had an LJN. Uh, he wasn't a very good speaker. I'm not too sure why he didn't stick around wrestling that long. Uh, he kind of looks like a really big Hercules, <laughs> you know, because he kind of had a similar look to Hercules, I'd say, with his beard and his black hair and stuff like that. So finally you get Neidhart. <laughs> so finally you get a guy that can do a you know, proper promo and and is, you know, doing his laugh and stuff like that. And that was pretty good. And he also he also starts touting his own football background because he played some professional football and stuff. So that was a, uh-huh. that's pretty cool, that connection. Finally a football player who can work. That's right. <laughs> so then you get Gene listing the rest of the names of the participants and you're back to another you know Vince promo for Wrestlemania 2 and another thing coming up on this episode will be a Gene interviewing Roddy Piper and Cowboy Bob Orton yeah it was not my favorite this one I think there was only one chuckle so uh, the Gene and the Cowboy and the Piper, you know, I know we're getting close to, unfortunately, the end of Piper's days, but I'm, I'm almost, God's almost Pipered out a little bit, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's got his boxing gloves hung around his neck, and he's making fun of T for not being able to tie his shoes or something. He can't do the training. That's about the only thing that I like, is yeah. that he teases Mr. T, and, and the rest of it, the other, and the last is a burn about the A-team's going down, which, yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. their ratings <laughs> are plummeting. Down, going down in flames, just 
like you, <laughs> which was yeah. a which was a real dig. Yeah. Otherwise, like the stuff with the Haiti kid, eight uh, and the Mr. T, uh, Roddy Piper, not not the strongest stuff of this era. Yeah. So there's a gene. <laughs> he's back with Leslie again. Yeah, and he's got basically. It looks like she's about 20 minutes later, but they haven't moved. He's still got his arm around her waist. <laughs> and then for the first time ever, one of these cameramen. Or wait, not a cameraman, but rather a guy who's sitting at the control board with all the switches and the faders, and he's got the headset and the microphone, and he's the guy like, switch to camera three, you know, like that guy. Okay. He is watching the monitors, but he kind of turns his chair around a little bit. He takes Gene's hand, which is on Leslie's hip, and he lowers it off of camera to, <laughs> to basically Leslie's backside around oh, her geez, butt area. This. Yeah. And then Gene says, hey, get your hands off me. But he leaves his hand down there. <laughs> For God's sakes, gentlemen. So Gene seems to cop it. Leslie unfazed, you know, <laughs> professional model poised. And yeah, Gene always had a reputation for the, you know, chasing the ladies, which I, well, actually, I only learned a bit, of course, in the last, whatever, few years. Yeah, yeah. We don't get to see Leslie again, but Gene will make one more killer crack at the end of the broadcast. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'll, so, I'll, I'll, I'll deliver that joke when this, we get this to the segment end of the show. Leads, yeah, this segment leads directly into what they call a Piper's Pit, but really it's just like a music montage of Roddy Piper training at Lou Duva's gym, and it's very different. It's really strange and kind of out of place in a way. So you see Roddy training. He's shadow boxing. He's got his hands taped up. Eventually, he's, you know, in the ring with his gloves on. And, you know, or pardon me, not in the ring, but uh, working a bag, all that kind of stuff. You see him weighing himself. That's <laughs> kind of looking at the camera. Like, Roddy's almost kind of, kind of like the beginning of the TNT segment. It's almost like he's not a bad guy in a way because, like, you know, you see him talking to people. He's being reasonable with media. Like, but you can't hear what they're saying. It's all just sort of footage you're watching with music laid over top. There is the only part is he's sparring with somebody and he's headbutting this guy a couple times. So he's beaten up on his poor sparring partner and doing some dirty tactics. But you see him uh, shaking hands in the ring with Leon Spinks. Who's a Wait a minute, Mr. T's no better. I saw what he did to his partner. <laughs> he knocked the guy when he was hit him when he was down. That's right. What's his double standard? <laughs> Uh, they, you know, they even show him like he's laying in the ring, kind of like facing outside near the post. And there's like a couple of people. There's like a, maybe a teenage or 20 year old woman. And, you know, he's signing an autograph for them and just being very sort of normal. Like it's just it, it doesn't really fit with the yeah, Piper character. It looked like he went to like a boys and girls club and they yeah, or, yeah. or they got to visit him training yeah. and that he was really nice to them all. And they were actually in person. They're like, oh, wow, it's starry eyed instead of like, boo, you stink. They're like, <laughs> well, a celebrity. And since he wasn't didn't have, a, I guess, a face there to beat up. Yeah. He's being like a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> So Gene, they go back to Gene's segment, and he can't understand why Duva's with Piper, but notes that Mr. T has Smokin' Joe Fraser in his corner. And from there, we go to the main event of this syndicated episode. And I, I was shocked that this match took place, because, again, I always say he never wrestled on these things, but here he is. It's our world champion, Hulk Hogan, defending his title against Moondog Spot. Well, I didn't take notes because it wasn't a very long <laughs> match. But um, yeah, you never got to see Hogan take on jobbers. But uh, of course, Moondog Spot, he falls into this category of uh, it's just the sunset. You know, he still looks totally capable. You yeah, know, of, yeah, he's and, a big guy. And... Yeah, but we're talking a former tag team champion, multiple yep. tag team champions. Yeah, I'd always get confused uh, over which of the dogs were in there when they were actually title holders because there's about three or four. There's Moondog Main, Moondog Rex, Moondog spot i think there's one more so 
I'm forgetting when 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 they were the heels and had the titles if it was actually Spot or not. But right. he's definitely affiliated with that. Yeah, well, this guy he's he, he's kind of got a body like uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine. He, he doesn't yeah, look like yeah. any pushover by no, any not means. At all. I think they announced him at like 280 pounds. Yeah, or something. yeah. <laughs> that's that sounds bigger than Valentine. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, but I, I, I don't think Hogan really. He also hasn't solidified all the moves, I think, uh, for his Hulk up. And this one, I think he skips a couple steps because, right. you know, like he's not a main eventer, the Moondog spot at this point any longer. So uh, Hogan, you know, pretty quickly uh, goes through his uh, invulnerable escalation and i think it's a leg drop but um it's definitely a leg drop but it's not yeah. off a boot there's no boot ah yeah so it's and not hogan, a long match H- hogan hogan does a suplex that's the one movie he pulls off during the movie he does do a suplex on spot so that was pretty yeah. good you don't see that too often he, he does more technical wrestling in japan of course, wrist yeah. locks go behinds yeah, yeah, takedowns <laughs> yeah you know toe holds yeah it's funny because you just never see that like in this kind of hogan we don't see him ever you know rest move a guy He's yeah either yeah. beating him up or getting beaten up that's right. Finger raking and biting yeah, yeah, and punching. Right. <laughs> Ichiban Hogan. So we'll wrap up this go-home episode of the show with one last little uh, laugh from Gene. So Leslie's no longer on camera, but Gene is, is recounting to the cameraman. He said, oh, I tell you, it's hard to, hard to get a wink of sleep these days. You know, you're on the road all the time. But I tell you, the other day, I had four women banging on my door until 5 a.m. And the cameraman says, well, what did you eventually do? He said, I had to get up and let him out. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I've never seen Gene be so risked into it. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. this is the most adult. Sometimes he talks about drinking and stuff. I can can remember a couple of promo things like that where he's in these segments where he would be like, oh, on the road and something, something. He'd start drinking or something. But this is even maybe a bit further. I think that as time goes on, there's less of that. Because I think you're right. It feels like. And then when he was playing the organ, that Gene was just, I don't know, a little looser right now that he, he'll yeah i don't remember as many um of these character breaks or i guess it depends on the program like i, I never saw this program so it gives gene a chance to sort of be the uh, late night host that's right so we get mel phillips announcing the heels and he even refers to fuji as a, a samurai warrior <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> deadly so one thing to note on this file unfortunately is the audio's really poor there's like a buzzing it's kind of drowning out the commentary and it's just, it gets to you throughout the match. It really takes away from the enjoyment of the match, but what can you do? You know, you got to see what you can see. So then this is where we get to see Hulk Hogan and Ricky Steamboat basically in the gorilla position. They're kind of pacing in the hallway, waiting for their cue to go out, which is always a neat look, you know, something from the this 80s era. You just, you know what, you know what decade you're in when you kind of see that look. So of course... Real American plays and out comes the uh, the heroes and and again Graham mentions we mentioned this before he refers to Hogan I at the tiger even though Real Americans clearly playing and and Gorilla mm-hmm. makes reference to Real Americans so Hogan's got his red shirt and red headband and yellow trunks and boots and his ribs are taped so he's you know playing up still this angle going into WrestleMania two that he's got to keep those ribs protected. And so they're in the ring and, you know, there's a bit of a face-off and then there's a quick edit. So there must have been a commercial break or something on Prism, I guess. And when you come back, Hogan's being triple teamed in the corner. He's already, you know, he's already on the downside of things here and the heels have a quick advantage. So at that point, Morocco comes in and does his famous one-arm whip to the corner. Ah, right. Where it looks like he's getting ready to give you a hug. That's right. <laughs> I'm going to bring you in for a hug. Bring it in. Bring it in. <laughs> but Hogan reverses it and gives him a big clothesline. And then he fires 
Morocco into Steamboat's corner, and they start ping-ponging him back and forth. They're giving him shots one after the other after the other, and you're seeing his health bar just, like, drain, <laughs> and thinking, like, well, those other guys on the mat aren't going to help you. <laughs> his his tag right. team partners aren't really, you know, in yep. the position. A couple like, of managers waiting to, to <laughs> jump right. in for you. So Steamboat grabs Morocco by the back of the head and drops off the apron and gives him that, you know, snap Ooh. snap off the top rope. Right. And so that's, like, really great. Macho man style. Yeah, and he hits, he hits the mat, and when he gets back up. And, like, is uh, Steamboat the legal man? No, he's on the oh. apron. He's cheating. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. How could you? So when Morocco stumbles back to his feet, Hogan's waiting for him with a back suplex. <laughs> so Morocco's just getting his ass kicked here, nice. which is really great. So, yeah, so they bring in Steamboat, and Hogan holds Morocco open so that Steamboat can come off the top rope with the chop. And, you know, if it was a bad guy, they would always move out of the way usually, and, you know, and the, the heel so would hit the other heel. But, That's right. But the, the good guys almost never miss. <laughs> cheating doesn't pay that's right cheaters never prosper unless you're good guys <laughs> and morocco's face when he gets hit on the top it's just like like eyes closed and like you know, he does a great wince yeah he? Like, yeah yeah like he just tasted the most sour thing in the world or something <laughs> extreme lemonade <laughs> yeah, that's right <laughs> it's pretty good. so then what you end up with is ricky sets him up for a slingshot back into his own corner to hogan so he slingshots morocco and hogan's waiting there winding up the fist and he plows him but steamboat doesn't let go so Steamboat's laying on the ground now with his, he still has Morocco's legs. So Morocco slowly falls back over Ricky's legs again to be <laughs> in the slingshot position again. And Mor- <laughs> Steamboat holds up two fingers this time. Yeah. So he does it again. And Hogan's really overselling the wind up this time. And then somehow the cameraman misses it. They do the slingshot for the punch, yeah. but you, you don't see it. Like the oh. camera shifts or something. And so well, I don't that, know what's that, going on there. The, well, because the control room guy's moving Gene's hand down to Leslie's butt is what's <laughs> yeah, happening. Exactly. He's got to keep the call. Got to keep his eye on Gene. Camera three. Camera three. <laughs> What are you doing? So at this point, Steamboat positions Morocco to face the other way but and goes back to the slingshot. But at this point, he's kind of in the middle of the ring. So the best he could hope for is maybe that just face flop slingshot. You know, it's like he's not going to go into the turnbuckle or anything. So, but, or, you know, I thought he was like, give me some manager. <laughs> well, and that's what happens. So, yeah. so Fuji comes in and this is like a match we saw before with Steamboat and Morocco and Fuji. And that match, previous match, the timing was beautiful. Like the slingshot was awesome. This one, it looks really really clumsy because like Fuji comes in and then stands there and waits for him to get slingshot into, you know? Right. So. Well, the slingshot, it kind of looks like you're going to go for a Boston crab, right? Like yeah, 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 setup, yeah. Right? Yeah. And then you realize as you like leverage your knees and your shins into their lower back, you're like, oh, wait a minute. And tuck, can, tuck his heels under your arms. Like, yeah. you know, okay, I'm, you know. You can propel this. If you fall back, he'll come up and yeah, go sailing they, over you. Like the, the guy taking the move stiffens up like a board. Yeah. So he can be. It's pretty cool leverage. acrobatic stuff. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, so he nails them into there, and then Steamboat goes in the corner, and he's given Johnny V punches, he's given Fuji punches, so, like, the heels the heels are just getting their asses kicked. Evan, you know, Love I it. can't think, other than that little momentary, you know, triple team at the beginning, they... Right. They don't. They don't get a lot of uh, a lot of action. Hogan comes back in to continue the beatdown on Morocco, and he's crawling for the tag. And but Hogan's nailing everyone before they can get the tag. So he comes over and punches the guys. You know, take take them out of the, take them out of the play. And what we end up with is Morocco in a bear hug. And during this whole exchange, you do see Morocco tag Fuji, and the commentators make mention of it. And then that's when Hogan puts. Morocco in a bear hug. So Fuji, who's the legal man, comes in and attacks the ribs from behind. But then the ref didn't see the tag and makes Fuji leave. Mm. <laughs> Which is weird because then Morocco has to go tag Fuji and he comes back in. Like, I don't think the ref was supposed to put Fuji out, so it kind of messed them up. So mm. they just had to work around it, you know? Like Yeah. Strange booking. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Fuji's back in now. 
and Don tags him in. So when he comes in, he charges at Hogan for a scoop slam. <laughs> and here we get we get the same thing we saw in the Funk match. Oh, so yeah. Johnny V comes in and he takes a slam, and then yeah. Fuji gets back up and he takes a slam, and then nice. Johnny V takes a slam. <laughs> Two slams for each guy. Love it. <laughs> it's really funny. Yeah, and like you said, Johnny V, like you know, his drunk walk after he takes a shot is always. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't realize how funny he is to watch take a beating. Yeah. So uh, Hogan tags Ricky in and holds him uh, hold, again, holds holds him open for a top rope chop. So Ricky with a diving strike and then a reverse chin lock on Fuji here. And this is where Gorilla comments that Fuji doesn't miss too many meals. <laughs> Just, <laughs> yeah. Well, he's mostly muscle, but, <laughs> but he does have a bit of a, uh, you know, bowling pin shape. Yeah. So Fuji's up to his feet at this point, and he pushes Steamboat off on the ropes. So we get this nice quick movement. So there's a push off, a leapfrog by Steamboat, a duck under. And then when Fuji and when Steamboat comes by for the third time, Fuji catches him with a knee. So finally, it looks like the heels have finally caught something. They've got some traction here. And that's where the luscious one comes in with some good punches and a nice body slam on Ricky Steamboat. You know, like he really ah. plants him, but then he immediately tags out. <laughs> I was right. like, come on, Johnny, put the boots to him. Right, yeah. I, I want to see Johnny B make those funny noises. So Fuji's in with a falling headbutt, and then they bring in Morocco, who comes up from the second rope, and he comes in with that Asian spike oh, yeah. on an exposed those steamboat. Great. Yeah. So at this point, Morocco's challenging Hogan. He's come over to the, that side of the ring, and he's got his dukes up, and that allows, of course, the heel managers to be double-choking Steamboat in the corner, right. giving it to him and stuff Tom, like that. Hogan takes the bait. He does, and he, he, not only does he take the bait, he comes into the ring, and Morocco rakes his eyes and dumps him out of the ring. Oh. <laughs> so, like, they're really starting to, you know, get something going here. So Steamboat starts to fight out of the corner, and he's getting some momentum, and he tries to bounce off the ropes to get, a, you know, an extra shot in on Morocco to get out of there, but uh, Fuji's there to, you know, slick slip that knee in from the outside so that uh, Ricky takes it in the back and that screws up his momentum and so again big choking going on and they're just basically cutting off the ring they're preventing the hot tag from happening all this kind of stuff so at one point during the match there's like the largest container of cotton candy you've ever seen being carried through the crowd <laughs> like the way the guy's doing it he's holding this thing above his head so right. and he's I think he's in the front row on the floor on the hard camera side ah. so he just walks right by like you know <laughs> he blocks your view until you buy some you want to watch the match <laughs> right. buy some cotton candy so that was earlier in the match at this point there's a crisscross there's <laughs> popcorn coming one way and cotton candy coming the other way <laughs> okay <laughs> they're, they're just taking over the whole section <laughs> the condiments who can watch wrestling when there's all this food to be had right mm, <laughs> delicious i want some now yeah that's right so fuji attempts a suplex which gets reversed and you know creates that moment of them both down and this like the buzzing audio is really annoying at this point in the match i was really like ah come on there you know like somebody fix this so steamboat and fuji uh, end up knocking heads off a move and again both down and they're trying to crawl to the corner and Morocco gets that tag first but he's too late to stop the hot tag to Hulk Hogan so the uh -oh. Hulkster comes in and starts clearing house but it's very short it's short-lived he goes around he bounces around kind of gives each guy a shot but then you know it's kind of like the beginning of the match again it's Hogan caught in the corner with three three guys two guys on the outside one on the inside all hitting him and stuff like that so he quickly is you know at a disadvantage which was really surprising and here's where we get the setup of the end of the match. So Steamboat tries to come in to like prevent this triple team, but he gets foiled. They knock him down. So Morocco gives a one-arm whip to Hogan back into his own corner. 
And then they whip Steamboat into Hogan. <laughs> so they got him stacked up. And then the heels charge in one at a time. <laughs> and Hogan lifts Ricky Steamboat up, you know, by around his chest so that Steamboat can do these like front kicks, you know, like as each guy comes in, he's like, ba bam, ba bam, ba bam. And it's funny, by the time you get to Fuji, it's like you just saw two guys get kicked in the face running in. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're really, are you really going to run in? <laughs> <laughs> so Hogan stays in the corner and Steamboat goes to the top rope. And then steps up on Hogan's shoulders, a la Dynamite Kid. Oh. And he does this crazy high like cross body on Morocco and Fuji, where he basically, I, I don't think I've ever quite seen it this way. He hits Morocco and then sort of bounces off Morocco, and Morocco goes down from that, and then lands on Fuji too, you know? like wow. Instead of landing on them both at the same time, you know what Ricky, I mean? It's ricochet. almost like, it's like a ricochet, yeah. Wow. But he, he does eventually sort of end up, so his body's across kind of both of them, sort of holding them down. So Johnny V decides that he's going to be the hero. So he charges Hogan and eats the big boot. And then Hogan bounces off the rope, drops the big leg, and gets the one, two, three. And like, is Steamboat still on top of the other? Yeah, he's he's on the other side of the ring. Like all three guys, yeah, all five five guys are in the ring. They don't they don't count the other two guys down, but they're technically being pinned. Right. Oh wow, what fun! Yep, and uh, you know, there's no real big after match shenanigans. The the heels retreat, tails between their legs. And what we get is a very long pose down with Hogan and Steamboat. And Steamboat's like way more cut than than Hogan is. Hogan's obviously a lot bigger, but Steamboat's like, and he never poses like that, but you know, he was doing it and it's like, holy shit. He's like, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I told you my memory is seeing Ricky Steamboat in person and being like, wow, he's so much more muscular than I really ever thought. Yeah. He's so defined. Like Hogan's got bulk and mass and size and Steamboat's just cut, you know, like, yeah. So it's really good. So yeah, I really it's, it's a really enjoyable match, and I and I saw on the house show loop there's there's variations of this. There's like you know Bulldogs and Captain Lou versus let's say Dream Team and Luscious Johnny V or something. You know yeah. there's there's a lot of these matches involving the managers around this time. And, yeah, uh, Johnny V's awesome. So we had a we've already talked about the Jake and SD Jones. Another thing that was on this card, which I don't think we're going to spend too much time talking about, is uh, there was a Piper's Pit episode that somehow it started off as Mel Phillips was the guest. Did you see any of that? Well, I think so, but. Actually, no, no, I didn't watch Mel Phillips get interviewed. No. Yeah, it was, it, you know, it wasn't what I was hoping for. It wasn't a really good Piper's Pit. And there's a weird segment where Piper's really goading the Philly crowd and really making fun of the Philly crowd for just, you know, how dumb they are and how ugly they are. And there's no good looking women here and all this stuff. And then he picks this one random woman out of the crowd. It must have been a plant. And he brings her in and he like, you know, he ends up making out with her. <laughs> And he ends up leaving with her. And he's like, if I gave you a plane ticket to wherever, you know, would you leave this dump? And she says, yes. So it's a really strange segment <laughs> where they're kind of goading the fans by like, having one of their own turn on them. <laughs> nice. Wow. <Yeah. laughs> Leslie, I can't take the pressure anymore. A week from tomorrow night. You like uh, margaritas? I love margaritas. Terrific. We'll be right back. Thank you, my dear. Mm. Right. So there's a few ways you can follow us or get a hold of us. I wanted to pass that along and make sure it's clear what to do. So if you have any stories, any thoughts, any feelings you want to pass along, please email us at legendarywrestlingobsession at gmail.com. And of course, we really want people to go over to Patreon, where they can eventually find episodes two and three of our Growing Up AWA will be there on Patreon. And to get there, you're going to have to type in patreon.com forward slash legendarywrestlingobsession. Patreon is spelled P-A-T. R-E-O-N dot com. And if you're having trouble or anyone's having trouble finding our podcast, send them over to legendarywrestlingobsession.podbean.com. And that's where you'll find our episodes. It's the quickest place they load. The fastest way to listen to us talk about wrestling. What he said. 
Okay, so that's going to get us as far as we can get this week for the setup. The WrestleMania 2 and Saturday Night's Main Event 6. So we'll be back next week with a little bit of corrections and expansions. The last bit of our, our setup. And then we'll get right into Saturday Night's Main Event. And some great matches. A big card in the spring of 86. Final words, Jeff? WrestleMania 2 has come and gone. And those are my final words. <laughs> and that's all the people need to know, as far as Baron Von Raschke would say. All right, we'll see you next week on the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast. Goodbye. Adios. Adios.